No subscriptions, no network, no rules, and at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. Welcome to another edition of BOA Audio Season 10, The Final Journey. And uh, we're, we're, we're going to have a really good one tonight, I think. It's, uh, it's going to be really interesting because uh, it was funny. As I was sort of looking at who to bring on the show this week, I was looking at like the last – I mean, we had just done this uh, – the Jack Brewer show, and it was like, we just spent three hours deconstructing ufology, so I can't even fucking go there again. And we had just done uh, Tim Weisberg and Chris Balzano the week before and deconstructed ghost hunting, so it was like, I can't really do ghosts either. You know, and then I went even further, well, we just had Ken Thomas on, we deconstructed conspiracy theories, so it's like, ah, shit, man. (laughs) I don't know what the hell we're going to talk about, because I kind of like talked myself out of all this stuff. Uh, you know, over the last three weeks. And, and then, uh, you know, I noticed my buddy here, uh, our guest tonight, Walter Bosley, he's had a lot to say lately about this secret space program. Um, I, got, I, don't know, I don't know what to call it, really, uh, and we'll kind of get into that, but I guess genre, for lack of a better term. It's like not ufology. It's not conspiracy. I guess it's conspiracy theory, but it's, uh, it's sort of this concept of a secret space program and how it's uh, – it's all of a sudden really hot, and that's what they made. That's what they did the whole MUFON. You know, that was the theme of this year's MUFON symposium with Secret Space Program. And I think they even have done Secret Space Program conferences and stuff. So it's getting more and more popular. Uh, and as with all of these fields, as they get popular, then you get some bad apples, and uh, you know they start starts to go off the rails a little bit. And that's kind of what's going on with the Secret Space Program uh, scene. And I don't know really anything about it, so it's perfect for. Uh, for a discussion here on the show. And so, and Walter's done some tremendous work. He's been writing about this types of stuff for a long, long time. He was on the show way back, I don't even know, but he was talking about Latitude 33, uh, his book on on uh, Disneyland and, and, and uh, sort of like ley lines and stuff like that involved with that. So he's been on the show before. He's a good friend. Hung out with him at Paramania out in L.A. And uh, he's back on the program now. Welcome back on the show, uh, Walter. Hey, Tim. I'm really glad to be back on. It's always good to talk with you. Nice, nice. Yeah, man, like I said, uh, well, it's funny. I sort of, I sort of like was looking to get you on the show. Wasn't really sure uh, when to, when to, uh, when to, when to make it happen. And then you, you posted, you, you've been posting a lot on the thing. And as we were talking about this right before we went on the air, you posted a, a clip, a video clip uh, of some like 
very overly long video interview. Uh, mm-hmm. I only watched like the first two minutes because, like, in the first two minutes, the host, this lady, who I I can't name her because I don't know her name, uh, was like introduced Corey Good, who's one of these secret space program quote unquote whistleblowers. And she was like, he was inducted into the space time travel uh, core at the age of six. And then he traveled back and forth uh, to space and time and four different times. uh, And I just shut it off at that point. I think she was going to say he was like really 160 years old or some shit. But it was like, lady, get the fuck out of (laughs) here. Like, who the fuck is listening to this lady? Who's watching this lady's show? Like, that's Mm. not... You know, your credibility's right down the toilet when you introduce someone. You're like, at the age of six, he was... If you're going to say that, dude, just go... He says that at the age of six, he was inducted into the, you know, toddler astronauts. Not like he was. You don't know that lady. Uh, so then I'm like, i got to get Walter Bossy on the show, because he's, he's on these people. He knows what the fuck's going on. So that, that's how, sort of how this came together. Yeah, I've been yeah absolutely i'm with you the frustration there on on that particular video it was that is indicative of the kind of stuff you see um around the whole cory good thing you know they just drink that kool-aid and they state this stuff like fact and of course that's the shtick over there you know whenever and this has gone on for decades it dates back to the old contactee movement the marriage of the UFO question and the new age stuff. Now, again, I'm one of those guys, you know, who you hear, uh, you know, like all of us, we all have friends in the, that are involved in that new age culture. You know, I have some very good friends that are in it. I don't, do not dismiss everything in the new age culture. I don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Okay. There's some things in that philosophy, that way of looking at things that I think are legitimate, but um, there's also a lot that's a bunch of nonsense and crap, and we often see the nonsense and crap emerge um, heavily when it's associated with anything to do with UFOs and such, and the frustration that I've been expressing, and and I'm not the only one that feels this, is this, um, what you'd call this really appropriation of the secret space program um, idea with this new agey UFO nonsense that, you know, guys like Corey Good put out there. And and not just him, there, there's others. He just happens to be the guy who uh, wants and has the spotlight, so he's going to get it. But um, it uh, for the listeners who may not be Familiar. Yeah, I'm not even the, sure where we. Yeah, let's keep, let's sort of thumbnail them in here on this because yeah, yeah, the secret the the idea of the secret space program is um, something that is kind of an offshoot out of Richard Dolan's uh, label that he came up with a very good one for the breakaway civilization, right? And right. that meant a group of people who had the resources, financially, material, you know, and such, to develop their own technology separate from what the rest of us are aware of or the rest of us use, and kind of um, create their own thing, you might say. Now, it, it, it in concept, my understanding of Dolan is, you know, this is not some Hollywood type of uh, uh, society that lives on a moon base, right? Right. And, not living on the inside of the uh, inside of the Earth or some shit like that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's they they 
coexist with us here. They they go to our malls. They go to the restaurants, you know, in our towns. They, you know, uh, well, our towns, if you live in Beverly Hills or something. Um, but, you know, you get the idea. Right, and, right. They're just, like, super wealthy, and so they, like, if they get cancer, they just take a pill yeah. or some shit. That kind of yeah, thing. Exactly, exactly. But I- included in this technology, of course, is aerospace technology that is produced along a uh, a parallel but different or maybe perpendicular um, technological uh, course there. And, yeah, you know, the idea is that they have access to outer space, you know, off-planet travel, that kind of thing. Right. And that's where the secret space program um, emerges from this breakaway civilization idea. And, and very specifically, it has been uh, – up until, you know, I'll, I'll say guys like myself and a couple others that have been uh, sticking our nose into this whole Del Shell mystery, which I'll explain shortly. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea is that the, the secret space program emerged from World War II, from what Nazi Germany was developing, and then with the rise of the post-World War II military-industrial complex, primarily of the United States, that that's when the secret space program started to develop, okay? Yep. Now, I personally have taken it back to the mid-19th century. And, 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 you know, I, it, in my research, I have presented the rudimentary proof of concept uh, line of development starting in, or at least going from a starting point of the 1850s. And that has to do with a guy named Charles Delshall, mm-hmm. which, you know, a lot of your listeners might have heard of him. Um, many probably have not. That's a whole other thing. My book, Origin the uh, 19th century emergence of the 20th century breakaway civilizations goes into that uh, very deeply. And so, you know, it's all a nuts and bolts, it's all an historical-based line of research in which, you know, we look for, uh, you know, more of the academic kind of proof. Yeah, you know, we're, yeah, yeah. We're, look, we're looking for a documents-based, a down-to-earth-based um, line of evidence when we, you know, talk about the secret space program. And there have been guys that have been researching this for years, you know, researchers that have been writing about this. People like Joseph Farrell and uh, Michael Schrad and Mark McCandlish and um, Catherine Austin Fitz and, you know, some other, uh, uh, you know, several other speakers who have spoken at the at two of the secret space program conferences that I've been involved with, I spoke at the one in 2015 in Austin, Texas. John Brandenburg is an, is another one. And, you know, people familiar with this MUFON event that we'll talk about shortly will recognize that Schratt and McCandlish and Brandenburg and, um, you know, uh, Dolan himself, as a matter of fact, were all speakers at this MUFON event. That's, that's the positive, about the only positive thing about that event that right. we'll talk about. But, uh, you know, these are all people that have been, you know, working hard and digging this stuff out. And Catherine Austin Fitz's, um, you know, financial trail, you know, she does the classic follow the money. And she points out, you know, how they could have finances. Well, this has been going on for years, and it's very they, – they've worked hard to keep it down to earth and present evidence-based research, okay? Right, right, yeah. And um, back in 2015 – um, there were people that were uh, just constantly sending emails 
to the guys running the Secret Space Program conference, you know, the the one in Austin, of course, that was in San Mateo the year before, mm-hmm. and they were complaining that, uh, you know, how can you have a Secret Space Program program conference without Corey Good, without Corey Good. Now, who and, is this? Now, I'm going to just jump in so we can kind of, like, fill in the blank. Who is this? Where, where did this guy come along? Because I don't... I've never heard of him. Uh, oh well, I, that, that's that's what I was getting to. Okay, because, okay, okay, sorry, sorry. Yeah, he, he, all his essentially lackeys are doing this open, you know, complaining about this. And then right before, about a week or so before, a couple of weeks before this event in 2015, um, people involved with him were actually using the graphics of the secret space program uh, conference that they were not involved with. Uh, you know, they were lifting these graphics and they were using that to um, uh, do a clickbait for Corey Good and David Wilcox's whole thing, okay? And then they, Wilcox and Good, came up with their own online conference that started the day after the one in Austin ended. Now, while Austin was going on, um, I spoke on the first day, and at the end of that first day, we had our panel of speakers. And they had their, you know, their shills in the audience that brought him up about two or three times in the Q&A. The very first questioner, um, uh, young lady, intelligent young lady, you know, she seemed, and uh, brought up, you know, Corey Good, Corey Good this, Corey Good that. So what they tried to do was force inject this Corey Good guy into the event at which really he had no place right. because – They've worked hard at they worked hard at this event when they were having it, that to not have the whistleblowers, to not have the storytellers, to not have speakers who didn't present some type of whether people accepted it or not, some type of academic evidence. So yeah, the question was in my mind then it's like who in the hell is this guy? You know what's going on here? So that's when I first learned, you know, looked into it and learned about the, uh, you know, the the whole Corey Good shtick. And yeah, to Tom answer your questions. Yeah, what that is is Good claims basically that he was in some uh, time traveling space commando unit. <laughs> uh, they're they're calling it now the twenty and back. Um, they picked him up when he was sixteen, transported him off planet. He spent twenty years as a as a you know a star traveling airborne commando fighting, uh, I don't know if it was reptilians or whatever, fighting aliens. aliens. And then after he served 20 years in this special ops military unit, they put him back through time, back into his 16-year-old body um, merely five minutes after they had taken him. Oh, shit. Okay. All right. Yeah, so now I'm filling in the blanks of what that lady was trying to say. She's, that's yeah. even worse. She's saying like yeah, he, exactly. he, has, is, he has the wisdom of, a, of an 80-year-old man in a, in a 40-year-old dude's body or some shit. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, yeah. you know, um, now, here's the thing. As he's gone on, you know, he, he comes out, and as he's gone on, the story, of course, is built, and more stuff has been added. And now it's this thing where he's some type of Galactic Federation ambassador uh, between this alien race called the Blue Avians. They're, yes, they are bird people. And they're from, you know, this other world, and he's an ambassador between them and us, and he's here to, you know, be their voice and, you know, all that <laughs> revelatory nonsense that New Agers just uh, love, yeah. you know. 
Yeah. And oh he God. provides no documentation. Okay. He he apparently was in the Texas National Guard, and there is the Texas state equivalent of what we call a DD-214, which anybody that's been in the military, around the military, knows that the DD-214 is your discharge paper that is really your receipt. It's it's your stamp of you were really in. Yeah. It's not always a stamp of approval because it tells you what kind of discharge you got, whether it's honorable or dishonorable or otherwise. Right, right. And, uh, but the closest thing he's got is his Texas uh, State Guard um, form, equivalent of a DD-214, in which essentially he was an IT guy. Okay, so I want you to, I want you to you know, it's your classic computer nerd. Dreaming guy of something. Guy how to plug in the cables and make the office equipment run, you know. Yeah. Um, but he actually was a space commando, you know. Yeah, and, okay. Um, again, the, there's people that are just eating this up with a spoon, and now, that's okay. Go ahead, go ahead, yeah. I'm just saying, that's okay in itself, but, you know, there's issues when it starts being married up and when it starts appropriating other things that it really has no business being associated with. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like the turd in the punch bowl, you know. It's like if he wants to go off and do his own shit, that's cool. But, like, you know, it seems – it's not to sound too conspiratorial, but, like, the way you said – the way you made it sound like it was so organized, it makes me almost think that it's, like, some kind of, like, disinformation situation where they're like, okay, we need to inject a crazy guy into this mix so people don't take the secret space program stuff seriously. So let's uh, Exactly. That's let's, that's been thrown out there. And I talked about that in one of my recent vid reports where, yeah, I think essentially there's one of three things going on, you know, three possibilities. One of them is, you know, and we're talking about there's Corey Good. Now there's also Andrew Basiaggio. That's what I was that, – that was my – that's when I said now a moment ago. That's what yeah, – for some reason, Andrew Basiaggio is kind of like my – uh, what's that guilty pleasure in a sense? Where it's, it's like his stuff so, so, uh, so wildly like over the top that I can kind of like yeah. you know I, I kind of appreciate it in a sense where it's like okay dude this is you know so bad that it's good right yeah yeah exactly yeah but yeah. but folks into this thing yeah I have uh, I mean I've shaken my head and just you know laughed in frustration over his stuff too but you know I will say this. Um, you know, when I was expressing some commentary on the social media here a couple of weeks back, shortly before the MUFON conference, um, he jumped in on the thread. Um, I believe it was on Randy Moggins' thread. And um, he jumped in. To his credit, you know, he didn't come in like some a-hole or anything. He, he, he expressed, you know, kind of some agreement with the frustrations that I and others like myself were <laughs> And he even said that, you know, he intended to express that at the conference. Now, I did not attend the conference. I, you know, I just, the budget didn't allow for it. It was really expensive. And, uh, but but I wasn't able to. um, So I don't know if Basiago delivered on what he said he was going to do or if he just jumped in there and scooped up the, uh, the spotlight that they were given. Um, I did hear that it was quite an interesting closing panel, and it got contentious at times. And and from what I understand, Dolan did indeed stick to his word and and you know pretty much express the things he said he was going to, and and that I respect. 
Um, but, uh, you know, you're talking about Good, you're talking about Basiago. Um, and then, you know, there's the other guy that, um, that spoke there, uh, Tompkins, uh, William Tompkins. And, um, you know, he, he is a verifiable, you know, veteran. I do believe he does have a DD-214 and such. I think he was Navy. I can't – I'd have to look again. And, uh, you know, um, I don't really at this point buy his story, but, you know, at least he offers – you know, and, and people don't buy my stuff now. That's okay, you know. Um, but at least Tompkins offers some type of, type of – documentary evidence that he is who he says he is he was what he says he was and you know that's more than the other two guys uh offer and again going back you know that's okay if people want to hear the stories and the and the so-called whistleblowers and stuff uh that's great but he, he here's one problem i'm having is i just heard james clarkson former investigator at mufon who just you know uh resigned yeah um, in an excellent interview with our friend Greg Bishop, and what con- what concerned me was Clarkson, and it's probably because he just hasn't researched the issue. But here he is, you know, probably one of the better top UFO investigators out there, and his statement was that you know Corey Good is the primary advocate for the secret space program field. Oh, I just about jumped out of my skin, right? Because. Right, yeah. Because there's no way in hell that anybody who's serious about it, uh, you know, no, Corey Good is not the uh, the primary advocate for the secret space program research. He might be the darling of the silly media, you know. The <laughs> yeah, that's like, that's you hit the nail. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, it's he's like the darling of the guys who are just trying to make a quick, big, fast buck off of his nonsense. We know who they are. Yeah. Um, but he is by no means and should by no means be considered the primary advocate. And and this is what I was getting at with that is this is part of the problem that secret space programs, serious secret space program research is having is the UFO people out there, they don't know enough about it. They're not looking at it. They reject it because too many of them are just in love with their you know, their precious ET theory. Yeah. It's got to be ET. That's what they want to hear. And the grayer the better. So they don't want. To <laughs> yeah, they don't want to be fucking blue aliens, dude. No, that's yeah, exactly. They don't want to hear that. Maybe ninety percent of the UFOs out there are actually, you know, some type of uh, advanced human technology. They don't want to hear that, so they tend to ignore it. And that's how we end up with a, a smart, excellent investigator like James Clarkson, you know, making a comment that Corey Good is the primary advocate for the secret space program. He really needs to bring himself up to speed, and his colleagues and peers up to speed on this because I think serious UFO investigators that want to do nuts and bolts research and serious uh, SSP researchers really have a lot in common and would really click if the UFO guys would just come up to speed on the serious secret space program research. Um, I think that would be, that's kind of a research marriage made in heaven right there that would be unstoppable. Um, but you know, it's just going to take some education. Yeah. Well, that's why we got you on the show tonight, because, I, like I said, I saw your posts, and I'm like, i got to learn more about this secret space program. I took the initiative, so hopefully other people uh, do as well. It's uh, Yeah, it sounds like there's like a war on here for the soul of secret space program research, in a sense. I'm being as melodramatic as some of these folks are, between the serious researchers and 
I think uh, I, I think I, I think I saw you sort of put it this way. I think it's probably the best way to classify them, and you have to you have to do it in quotes, folks. We don't mean literally the the quote unquote whistleblowers, the ones right. who claim all this shit that they they don't have any. They're just telling fantastic stories, and right. you know we don't know if they're true or not. That's you know to be fair, well, but at the same time the I don't fucking believe it myself. They're not verifiable. They're not falsifiable. That's just it. They, they, other than they don't pass the bullshit test. Right. But you know, people, people are weird. Somebody tells a wild. People in this community we're talking about here, um, they have this weird. I don't know if you'd call it an ethic or a principle or whatever, in which somebody can say the wildest, most ridiculous thing, and if you come out and just you know throw the bullshit flag on that, they they. Some of them, they just get all over you. They say, no, 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 you know, you got to be fair. This right, could right. be true. This could be true. And you're like, folks, come on. He might as well say the moon is made of green cheese. You know, there, there, is, there is a line. Now, some people would say, oh, God, that Bosley guy, look at the crap he writes. You know, you know here's the difference between that Bosley guy and these so-called whistleblowers. Um, in my books, I identify 40 or 50 times in my book that I am speculating and when I'm speculating, and I do my best to footnote my books and provide some type of documentary evidence or some type of historical evidence to point to whether the reader agrees with that in the end is up to them. I never just come out and say, this is true, take my word for it. Right. Um, I just I don't do that, and there's the difference between myself and my you know other people who I've mentioned who are far deeper and more learned in this than I am, and these other guys, these so-called whistleblowers. Um, you know, it, uh, it it's 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 a big that's a big line. You know, that yeah, needs for sure. to yeah. be acknowledged. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now you say are they sort of like? You said they, they're kind of like co-opting the serious research, so they're sort of like taking the shit that you know serious researchers are uncovering and being like, "Yeah, see, this this backs up what I say." Is that kind of what's yes. happening, or how's how, how's that? Yeah, happen? that 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 kind of stuff goes on through implication, through insinuation. Um, they will. They. Uh, what's interesting is you know you got the folks who have done all this groundwork. And then somebody with just deep pockets full of money that wants to fill them with even more money, um, they stand up a you know a a silly media kind of situation, and they give the spotlight to the wackadoodles, right? You know these, these nutty so-called whistleblower guys, okay? And that sucks all the attention you know, out there. And, uh, you know, of course, at the same time, they're vacuum, vacuuming up as much of the money that they can get their hands on, too. That's, you know, and I'm not against making money. I'm a capitalist, okay? Don't get me wrong here. Um, but uh, uh, the result is, is that they have so many resources to kind of um, hit the public 
you know, this particular public interested in this stuff heavy so that, yeah, people, the average person comes away thinking that Corey Good is the face of secret space program research, right. see, because they're not hearing as much, if at all, uh, they're not hearing as much about Joseph Farrell or, or Mike Schratt or Catherine Austin Fitz unless they're listening to very specific, you know, outlets or something. They sure as hell are not hearing about me, you know, because um, I'm not as big as those guys. I'm, I'm kind of... Yeah, I'm kind of, I guess you'd say, championing the, the the researchers that have done a lot more than I have in this field. Um, yeah, well, and like a, a lazier, you know, like yeah, like a lazier show, uh, you know, like would would like like if I if I was lazy, I would have just got Corey Good. You know what I mean? But it's like I actually want to get to the bottom of this shit. So it's like, but I can see how that happens. You know what I mean? Someone's like, like this guy's misconception about the the SSP field, where it's like, all right, who's the lead, who's the main guy in that? I could see how people get kind of tricked into thinking that, that he's the he's the face of this shit just because he gets all the fucking attention. Yeah, he uses the phrase. Cycle. Yeah, what, what it is is they'll use the phrase. You know, you get the memes, you get the catchphrases, you get the buzzwords, and what these whistleblower you know, people do is, you know, they hear a, a buzzword that they like, and then suddenly, you know, they incorporate that, and it's been part of their thing all along. Um, I, from my understanding, there's a controversy over um, this issue of this thing that Basiago calls the jump room. Um, uh, there's a guy, uh, I, I think it's Bill Ryan, says that, you know, he was the first one to use jump room, and particularly <laughs> with this context. And then he says, this is Bill Ryan, he says that Basiago never used that until after, you know, he, he had used that himself. And, you know, that, that's just one example, you know, that I've heard recently. But, yeah, they, they, they latch on to this uh, SSP phrase, secret space program, and because they've got all the circus money behind them, um, that's really what people are hearing about. So, you know, people assume that, oh, that must be the case. This must be the SSP guy. Um, now maybe I'm maybe I'm going crazy, but did I did we ever finish? You said you thought there were three things going on here. One might have been disinformation. Oh yeah, let's go back. But I didn't get into that. Okay. The first one is is that these guys, these whistleblower guys, we're talking about, um, a that they they actually believe what they're saying. Okay, set whether it's true aside, true or not aside. Okay, they the option one is that they really believe what they're saying, which you, then you, you've got you've got two possibilities there. Either what they're saying is true, and that's why they believe it, or it's not true, and therefore it's um, it's delusional, perhaps, or you know maybe they're dreaming this stuff. It's just not real, but whatever. Um, uh, yeah, another, it's not real. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not necessarily lying, per se. They're, they're like, right. confused. Maybe. Right, yeah, they, they believe it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the other option is that, yeah, they're fronting for somebody, they're being handled, they're an asset, a media asset of somebody who, like you said a few moments ago, wants to discredit serious secret space program research. See, it's interesting that, you know, uh, and I put quotes around this, that Corey Good became the primary advocate of the secret space program in the minds of many people after the serious researchers had laid the foundation and were making progress. Right, right. See, yeah. one of the things that bothered some of these people, and this is part of uh, option two, we're still on that. One of the things that bothered somebody was that the guys um, in the organization from the Netherlands that were putting together the secret space program conferences, um, 
one in San Mateo, the one in Austin, the one I think before San Mateo there was one. Um, what they were doing was insisting that it was serious researchers. There was none of the whistleblower storytelling bullshit mm-hmm. at their conferences. They would purposely keep it out of there. And it was bugging the hell out of these people who wanted the whistleblower crazy stuff to be involved. And, and it was bugging the hell out of the Corey Good fans. And it was it was bugging them. So the, the, under the second option is, you know, uh-oh, these guys are building up steam and, you know, perhaps they're getting too close to what it really is. We've got to discredit the whole thing. What's the best way to do it? Oh, okay, let's take these uh, time-traveling space commandos and let's put our backing between, behind them. Let's throw the money at them. Let's feed them a line of crap and tell them, you know, yeah, you can share this with the people, you know. And... Either A, they're wittingly doing this, they're some type of, you know, an asset who, you know, is getting paid or getting something out of it or, where, you know, they're going along with it to get what they can out of it, or they're unwitting. They, they're the guys going back to option one where they, they really believed kind of a nugget of this, and then these, these manipulators, these handlers come along and build up on their ego and feed them a bunch of crap and, you know, make them believe their delusion is true. And then they use them to do exactly what they're doing now, discrediting serious SSP research. Okay, So that's option two, that they're being handled, possibly witting, possibly unwitting. And then the third option. The third option is flat out that they're lying, Okay, that they're just talking crap to get attention, to get a shtick going, to, you know, make some money in in the yes. – the silly world of UFOs and New Age and alternative research. I mean, that is an option. And, you know, uh, it, it, it needs to be said that they could just be making this crap up. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah, yeah. There any, there sh- yeah, yeah. There shouldn't be any uh, any hesitancy to at least acknowledge that, folks, because it's like people right. make shit up all the time, and it's like if you if you make shit up in this field and you get rewarded for it, like – that's no deterrent. That just encourages Look, you to be more, more, you know, extreme and shit. You know, I've been – there's some people out there that accuse me of making stuff up. I'll tell you right now, if I was making up the stuff that I do, I would have uh, – honestly, I could do this. I could produce two to three times the amount of books I've been putting out, okay? I could just forget all this research stuff. And I could come out with my own uh, series of books where, you know, I'm whistleblowing things, you know, a little bit of stuff I've experienced and uh, a little bit of, you know, uh, my expertise with my military background and, and how to, you know, talk the talk and walk the walk and then a big heavy dose of bullshit and I could put out two or three times the books I'm putting out and probably, you know, make a lot more money than I'm making. But why don't I do that? Is because I'm not I, I don't wanna I, I just you have don't want to be a liar. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm not I'm <laughs> you know, I'm really not making stuff up. I'm I'm trying to get to the truth of things and uh it's it's legitimate. So I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, I was, I was, I wanted to, uh, you know, I'm trying to not interject too much because, uh, well, you know, I don't like the crosstalk. So it's like I, I was thinking as you were saying this about the, how they, 
how this dude's fans were getting mad that he was, and he was, you know, getting mad he wasn't included in these conferences. It's like, do your own fucking conference, then, dude. Like, you know, that's and that like, that's exactly what they <laughs> they did. And uh, there's. They pushed theirs heavily on the internet during the week. That, oh, like, the okay, yeah, they did the online thing, yeah. And they started it on the ours ended on a Sunday, and uh, like in early November, and theirs started on Monday, you know, Monday morning, and um, and then with this MUFON thing, they finally got their, you know, because on Saturday they had some good speakers that, by the way, had spoken at these conferences. I'm talking about. Mike Schratt, uh, Mark McCandlish, um, you know, uh, Brandenburg, um, Dolan. Yeah. You know, um, they, Saturday they spoke, and then Sunday was Circus Day. That was uh, good and Basiago and Tompkins and the hoo-ha circus and and so but they they it was a big deal it was in vegas you know coast to coast talked about it you know a big time and and you know it was all over gaia and stuff so they had their big promotion it was expensive to go to and such and on and so forth so they did they ended up you know having their own and and you know i for the record i don't fault you know, any of the guys who spoke at that conference with them, my understanding is a lot of them were asked before they knew that the whistleblowers were going to be involved. Yeah. And you know what? A gig is a gig. In this in this field, when you get asked to speak somewhere, you know what? You do it. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So Yeah, no, no, no. I don't I don't I don't uh I don't hold them at fault either. It's like if anything that you know, they almost have a responsibility to go to sort of offset the craziness anyway, in a sense, you know. Exactly. Because it's like, shit, if I, if I were those guys, I'd be like, well, shit, well, at least we're here to sort of keep this thing from getting too off the rails and stuff, you know. Yeah, but. yeah. And, and my understanding is on the uh, closing panel, it, it kind of went there. Um, uh, Dolan, he himself said this in his uh, interview with George Knapp after, at, you know, on the last day after the event was over on that Sunday night. He told them, you know, that a big majority of the MUFON membership attendees really reject the whole whistleblower Corey Good Basiago thing. They reject that and they hate to see it infecting MUFON the way it has. Um, you know, I, I think most people, MUFON's pretty much, they hadn't been taken seriously in a long time by a lot of people to begin with. This this is probably the final um yeah, they're limping along like old Yeller this year. So yeah, <laughs> so th- this was you know fine. I'm sure they made a buttload of money on this conference, but um, you know they've probably done permanent damage to themselves. And hey, their choice. Yeah, yeah. Well, we beat the shit out of Move On last week, and uh, everyone's been beating the shit out of that. <laughs> so it's it's like like it's like an old Yeller. Yeah, we don't want. <laughs> You know, they're just, uh, they're just, they've lost their way. And, uh, if anything, I think like it's, I think they lost their way a while ago and people are just kind of realizing it now, you know, it's kind of like when someone, you know, they're like, Oh wait, grandpa's really senile. You know, it's, it's just like, it didn't just happen overnight folks, but yeah, it's yeah. not cute anymore. He really is crazy. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but so I guess, well, what's your, do you have like an overarching, to step away from the whistleblowers, I guess, what's mm-hmm. your sort of, like, uh, general, and I know this is probably going to be long, but I can handle it because I want to hear it. Um, do you, what's your, like, general thesis on this, on on the secret space program? Because I assume, I presume, like, that there's no real sort of universal theory other than that there's a, univer- that there's a secret space program. You know what I mean? It's like there's different people. 
taking out the fucking crazy whistleblowers. Like, uh, I, I assume it's sort of like different theories on maybe what this thing is and how it evolved. Well, I, yes, I, I think what you've got are um, two schools of thought. One of them is that the secret space program slash uh, breakaway civilization issue um, started with Nazi Germany, and but but really emerged and launched um, from that post World War II military industrial complex. Okay, that's that's the original. Um, model that, uh, you know, Dolan and others, you know, put out there and have been working on. What I contributed to this field was that I looked at the Sonora Aero Club and the 19th century airship mystery, 1890s airship mystery, and I started digging into it and I saw the threads of connection that were there. And what I laid out was an early development that led to what the Nazi uh, scientists, aerospace engineers were doing, were fooling with, okay? And so what I've done in my research is push back the uh, starting point to the mid-19th century. Excuse me. Push that dog back. See what I did there, folks? Oh boy! Well, I, while Walter tends to the dog, uh, I'm I'm back. It's, oh, it's, it's a we have these door-to-door solicitors that are just they just don't go away. Jesus, is this a California thing? Yeah, you know they. Well, that's, just like, that's like where those signs, like no soliciting, come from. Yeah, I see. I always see those, and I'm like, what the fuck? Why do you need a sign for that? But I guess in some places it's bad. And uh, so, you know, I pushed it back to the mid 19th century, and it's a German thread because what you have is Charles Delschau, okay, mm-hmm. is our first and only original source on an interesting little group called the Sonora Aero Club, Aero, A-E-R-O, as in aerospace, okay? And he wrote and created these very interesting diaries starting in the 1890s and up until the early 1920s when he died in 1923. And these books are full of large-page, colorful artwork of these contraptions that he claimed in his diaries, were flying machines. And the description of the flying machines indicated that they had figured out some sort of what we would call anti-gravity technology. Yes, before the U.S. Civil War. Now, this was chemical-based, and it was very, as I said, it was very proof of concept, very rudimentary. Right. Okay? And... um, you know, these books were found just discarded after his death, and they were at an old junk shop, and they were going to be thrown out, and a man named Pete Navarro in the early 70s came across them, and he was fascinated. And he was the first guy to really dig into this mystery. And he found out that Charles Delshaw was a German immigrant who had entered the United States through Texas, and according to the diaries... Delshaw had come out to California in the 1850s to 
observe and report on this group of guys, the Sonora Aero Club, that was building these flying machines, allegedly. Okay. Now, Del Shao claimed in his diaries that he was a representative of the parent organization. So, wow, now we have this parent organization based and headquartered in Germany, according to Del Shao, headquartered in Germany. And it was called NIMZA. And the way he spelled it out, it was an acronym, N-Y-M-Z-A, all capital letters. Right. And he also said that the Sonora Aero Club was just one of, you know, a few of these groups you know, out there building these contraptions and developing this interesting anti-gravity technology for this German-based group, NIMSA. But Sonora Aero Club was the one he was sent by NIMSA to observe and report on. And he comes out to California. Now, Sonora, California is in the gold country. It's just west of Yosemite um, National Park. It's a beautiful area up there. And Del Shell comes out. He gets to know these guys. He likes them a lot. Um, and, you know, he admires them. And their leader, a guy named Peter Menace, and several of the other Aero builders, they are also German immigrants. See, so again, we have this German connection. Now, you have to remember, Germany was not unified until middle, late uh, 19th century. So in the 1850s, we're talking Prussia. Okay, we're talking like I think there were 48 Prussian states that, you know, became what we call Germany, you know, uh, a few decades after this this particular era. So it was distinctly Prussian in in its nature and its culture. And these guys came here and they had begun to reject what the German based NIMSA wanted them to do with this technology. The NIMSA wanted them to develop it for military uses. But these guys of the Sonora Aero Club, Peter Menace and the other guys, they didn't want to do that. They did not want to apply it to military uses. And there was some intrigue, and Peter Menace allegedly dies in an explosion, um, you know, uh, test flying one of these things. Menace was the guy, according to Del Shao, who had the secret to the fuel, this liquid that would be applied to the mechanism that made the whole thing work. Okay? Okay. Yeah. And now, these, what, this Menace guy and the other guy, do we know – we only know of them from Del Shao's stuff? That's right. We okay. only, we only like, know we, of have them. We tra- has anyone tried to, like, track – Obviously, oh, yeah. dead. That's no, you know what I mean. But has anyone tracked the historical record to see? Oh, like, oh like, yes. Uh, Pete Navarro has tried it. Um, uh, Bill Moore, you know, who a lot of people love to hate, he's tried it. Um, I, I myself, um, a guy named Stephen Romano, who is the owner of the, uh, the Romano Gallery, and they have published the best book on Del Shell's art that you will ever find. It's really the the only real serious book on it. I recommend people look that up. Stephen Romano, um, The Art of Del Shao. And you can see Del Shao's work yourself, just hundreds of, you know, nice. uh, out of the collection. Okay, so I, I interrupted you there, so I don't want to uh, take oh, well, well, the, the technology um, that, that Menace had developed involved using this uh, dripping in injecting slowly this secret formula that he had, this fuel that w- would be applied to 
the working mechanism that made the anti-gravity work. Now, here's what's interesting. This was a discovery that I have uh, made from the existing material. There is a an image that Del Shell drew of several of these um, uh, arrow contraptions, one in particular, very specific one, which shows what is essentially an early form of what we know as the Nazi bell. Ah, interesting. That was a mind blower. And there it is in Del Shell's art. You can see this thing in uh, uh, one of the art plates in the Romano book that I'm talking about. It is bell-shaped, and, and it, would, it would spin on an axis just like the Nazi bell allegedly did or does. And this, this very special fluid or serum, just like the Nazi bell, would be applied, okay? And that would cause the reaction that would result in the anti-gravity and make the arrow fly. Now, it looks like Menace was doing this in the 1850s. Now, I talk about this in my book, Origin, um, because when, when I saw it there in the artwork, it just, my jaw dropped. You know, I threw it past you know, the the top bell researcher that I know, Joseph Farrell, and his jaw dropped and his eyes bugged out. Right. And even Romano, you know, it, it was, you know, holy crap. You know, what the heck? And, you know, so there, there was one of the biggest pieces of evidence I had to show a thread from the Sonora Aero Club of the NIMSA through the 19th century um, to, to the 20th century Nazis and this alleged bell contraption. Um, basically, I argue that the Nazis got the bell concept from the NIMSA influence. Now, people say, okay, the 1850s to the 1920s, 1930s, that's a big leap. Yes, it is. If you look at the airship mystery of the 1890s, what you see is a progression of the very same technology these guys in the 1850s were allegedly developing. Okay, now I have a chart in my book, Origin, which I made up, and it's part of the talk. I sent you the link on my secret space program conference presentation on all of this that we're talking about right now with visuals and graphics for people to look at. I have a graphic. It's a chart, and it shows the – it, it kind of gives metaphorical um, progression so people can understand the development, okay? I show a picture of one of the Delshaw arrows of the 1850s, and – and just below it, I show a Ford Model T automobile, okay? Proof of concept, rudimentary automobile, right? Then I show uh, a popular image of the 1890s airship mystery craft, okay? And below that, I have a 1958 Buick, okay? Um, and then the next image is um, I, I chose the, the, I think, the S4 model flying saucer connected with Area 51 that allegedly was, you know, um, people popularly think of that as along the same lines of what the Nazis were developing in World War II. And beneath that, I show a 1985 Porsche sports car. So what you've got is the 1850s arrow, the 1890s airship, and then you know, the, the mid to late 20th century classic flying saucer, okay? And I show that these correlate with the Sonora Arrow is really the Ford Model T of the arrows, 
the 1890s airship is really like what a 58 Buick would be to a Model T, right? You see the progression of technology, okay? And then the S4 classic flying saucer that we're so used to is like what the 1985 Porsche sports car would be to the 58 Buick and then on back to the, to the Model T. So you see that there's, you know, kind of like the parallel concept there. It helps people understand what I'm talking about because that's what I'm saying with my research. I'm saying, look, this didn't just come out of some guy's rear end in Nazi Germany in the 1930s. Okay, they got it from somewhere. Now, the fact that NIMSA was very much a German, Prussian-based organization in the mid-19th century, okay, and the fact that NIMSA pops up with associations to all the spiritualist New Age Madame Blavatsky types that were milling around the airship mystery in the 1890s, okay, and German mystics, all right, NIMSA's there in that mix. We know that the German mysticism of the late 19th century and early 20th century heavily influenced, you know, certain leaders and founders of the of Nazi more mystical arms, okay? Yeah. So I, I've shown the thread uh, tying the, the, the mid-19th century um, NIMSA through the 1890s airship mystery era into the 20th century to Nazi Germany. And then, you know, I, that's when after that I stumbled upon, hey, look at this. We've got the bell in the 1850s. Holy crap, there it is. It's it's remarkable, yeah. Do we know? Uh, and I have a bunch of questions. So, do we know what do we do we know what NIMSA stands for? Or did he never really say? Oh, uh, he never really he never really said other than just NIMSA. However, in two of my books, um, I tried my hand at figuring this out. Up until um, my book uh, Empire of the World Two, Friends from Sonora. People who had attempted to translate what NIMSA meant, because remember, it was all caps, implying an acronym, yeah. they always thought that the NY had to stand for New York. Now, that this was my was because, first guess, yeah, yeah. Exactly, because in the 1890s airship mystery, there's a lot of talk of airship uh, builders and investors from the East Coast, from the East Coast, or, you know, um, <laughs> New York, okay? So people say, oh, NIMSA obviously... You know, it's New York something or other. And one very good try out of all those attempts to um, decode it was uh, the New York Motor Zephyr Association. Oh. That was a good try, you know, but I, I don't think it's right because Del Shao himself, the very original source on NIMSA, said that it was a German-based organization. It was called NIMSA before the 1890s airship mystery ever happened decades before. Right. So there, there's really um, a question about this New York moniker. So with that in mind, I said to myself that, you know, that, okay, there's got to be something else going on here with the language. Now, I've studied, like a lot of us, I studied, you know, French and Spanish in junior high, high school and college and such. But then I became um, a language specialist for the FBI in uh, 89, 90, and I did that for three years. They trained me in Russian for a whole year, 
and um, you know, all my academic life, you know, I, I had kind of a an understanding of linguistics. In fact, the FBI they give you a, a language test that tests your aptitude for linguistics and studying languages. They use a fake language, but if your mind if your mind clicks with linguistics and things like etymology and stuff, you do very well on the test. And I scored the highest in the San Francisco division when I took it. So they sent me to Russian training. Okay, so um, I, I'm I'm kind of handy with these kinds of things. So I decided to look at it linguistically and etymologically, and I, I realized, okay, I've got to look at German words for this. So I, I went through this long process, and I ended up, uh, I think, with um, a good uh, translation of NIMSA and what it and what it means. And what I came up with was the following. Now, to keep it simple, N-Y-M-Z-A is how Del Shall spelt it. Now, there's something that people who study languages will know about called transliteration. That's not translation. It's transliteration. That has to do with pronunciation. Okay? In transliteration, for example, the easy way to explain it is if you have a language where they use a completely different alphabet than the one we use, for example, Russian, they use the Cyrillic alphabet, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and you want to teach an English alphabet speaker how to pronounce a Russian word, you will transliterate that Russian word using the English popular alphabet we use, you know, in English. Right. Okay? I see. So use. Yeah, we'll use our letters, so to speak, instead of the Cyrillic letters, okay? It's not the way it's officially spelled in the Russian language, but it helps, you know, the English speaker, for example, pronounce the Russian word properly. So I argued that Delshow transliterated the name of the organization NIMZA. In other words, he he spelled it N-Y-M-Z-A because in his mind, I argue, that was the closest way to capture the pronunciation, okay? Mm -hmm. So what I did was when I translated it, I ended up coming up with N-Y-M-Z-A is actually N-J-M-Z-A, okay? And Mm -hmm. why is that? Well, in German, the J is often pronounced Y, Y, like a Y, right? So Ah. here you have, yeah, yeah, you have this German guy and he says, okay, how do I transliterate Nimza? Okay, well, gee, in English, the Y is the Y, so I'll use a Y, right? You follow me? It's, yeah, it's, yeah. This is this guy, you know, just trying his best to uh, to transliterate this. So are there any words in German that then would fit what we're talking about here, this secret organization, and they were very secretive, this secretive organization developing airships um, ultimately – you know, with a military purpose in mind, okay? Um, and that that was the following. NJMZA, I propose now, this is my speculation, I propose means nationalistisch jagdflugzeug maschinen zalangsamt. Now, what does that mean in the best English translation? The Nationalist Pursuit Exploration Airship Program Office, or the National, you know, yeah. Hunter Airship Program Office. It sounds okay. almost like an antiquated, like, National Aeronautics Space Agency. Exactly. What you kind exactly. of expect it to be from back then. Now, I've taken, you know, but I, I got some cold 
response from some of the folks that are really into the airship thing because they love their New York Motor Zephyr Association acronym. They just love that. But I pointed out repeatedly that cannot be the New York Motors Upper Association because it was German-based. Hmm. Del Schau says that, and he is the original source we have on NIMSA. Um, so in my opinion, it must be a German translation. Now, nobody had ever attempted that I ever found a German translation of NIMSA, and nobody ever came up with NJMZA before you know I did, I think, in 2013. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, I won't go into it, but I've, I've seen another researcher out there use refer to the NGMZA without any sourcing reference or where he got it from. And that's another uncool thing that goes on in our field, but, you know, that's another discussion. Yeah, whoever did that, they can go to hell. Uh, yeah, it, it's kind of not cool, but, uh, but yeah, basically no, – it's definitely not cool. Let me okay, – I'm going to just jump in just, for, just to clarify something in my mind. Do we? Because I heard a lot about the Sonora Aero Club. Is that also from Del Shaw's original stuff, or has that been backed up with any other uh, sources? As I said before, it's it's Del Shaw, and that's the thing. That's okay. where people get caught up. Is well, I know. Yeah, I knew, I knew that uh, we established the NIMSA part. I just didn't. Like I said, I've heard yeah. a lot about the Sonora Aero Club, so it's like if, that also yeah. comes from Del Shaw. Okay. Yeah, if you Google Del Shaw, you're going to see a lot of people that just label him as what we call an outsider artist. Yeah, it's okay. not on Wikipedia, yeah. To me, labeling Del Shaw, the just simply writing him off, and that's essentially what it amounts to. To write him off, you know, as an outsider artist is, is equivalent to when an archaeologist doesn't know um, what the hell they're talking about when they find something, you know, from the ancient world, and they just label it religious. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I, don't, I have no clue what this building actually was or what they did here. I can't explain it, so therefore it's a temple and it has a religious meaning. Archaeology right, right, right. all the time. It's, you know, it's their little catch-all for when they can't explain something. Exactly, yeah, um, yeah. So I wasn't trying to undercut. Uh, oh, no, I, I, I was just trying to, like, I'm just trying to sort of get the roots in my head as far as, like, okay, so this is all coming from, from, uh, from him. Yeah, I just wanted to acknowledge that, yeah. you know, yeah, there are people out there that will <laughs> – um, say that, oh, he's just an outsider artist and that's it. And some people say, why can't you just accept him as an artist? Isn't that cool enough? It's like, okay, look, I have artist friends, okay? Don't get your artistic panties in a bunch. You know, I know there's art for art's sake. You know, there's a lot of fart for fart's sake out there in the arty world, too, but um, I digress. Uh, yeah, you that's, know, but that's absolutely true. And I'm sure, like, there are people, I'm sure, I'm sure, who uh, will just say, well, this guy, he made fantastical drawings, and he wrote a fantastical story along with it, and there's nothing to it. So, I mean, for those people... Until, until, until you look at the 1890s airship mystery, and you, you look closely at the descriptions, and you go, wait a minute, a lot of the stuff that the, the actual witnesses talk about um, really jibes with what Delshaw had said was going on in the 1850s. And then when you would look closer again at what Nazi Germany was doing and what they were allegedly doing, again you see the resonance, and uh, a.k.a. the bell issue that I found right, right. You know, within the Delshaw stuff. Then it begins to take on more than just an outsider artist thing because Delshaw died in 1923. He died before the Nazis ever started fooling around with the bell, and yet there in his work is essentially – the bell. Right, right. 
Yeah. So yeah. well, like I said, again, I wasn't discounting it. I'm just sort of putting your voice to the skeptics. Right. And at that point, it's like, well, then to those people, it's just like, well, then beat it. There's not you're not going to get anything out of this because if you think I just made the whole story up, but we yeah, from and what I, you're I, saying, it's like there seem to be some things that suggest that this isn't just some dude's fantastical story. Like there's something to the story he's telling. It's like those old fucking things. Isn't that like the, you know, the Troy, isn't that the whole thing with it up until like a generation ago or something, they said it was all a fable and shit and then they found it. Yeah. I think it was about a hundred years ago that it was all mythology. It was all fake. Ha ha ha. Laugh up their sleeves, you know, and then Schleiman pretty much found it. And, uh, and then others, of course. And, and so, you know, they had to kind of eat some crow on that. But, you know, my view is I picked up something from our good friend Greg Bishop, you know, this phrase, buy it or don't. And, you know, his philosophy is uh, really, uh, my view is, hey, either, you know, if you think my stuff's crap, then ignore it. By all means, don't buy my book. You know, if you just can't buy the premise at all or if you can't even entertain the premise, that's fine with me. You know, I'm not, I don't try I don't like to try overly hard to convince people. I present my stuff in my books, and I let people decide. I let the reader decide for him or herself. Now, a lot of people don't like that, uh, particularly people, uh, you know, there's people that want to be told by the end of a book what to think. You need to think this. This is what I think you need to think. And when, and when you make them choose for themselves, they don't like it. Then there's the other people with the, the certainty fetish. That's another thing I got from Greg, the certainty fetish. You know, everything's got to be absolutely certain or it's all nonsense. There's nothing of value there. Um, I just, I try to ignore classes of people. Yeah, you can't fucking please anybody. So, why well, I, I stopped trying a long time ago. Jesus, you know. Anyone who's had a mother should know that. You can't, you can't please everybody. Uh, so, so this NIMSA now, to sort of mm-hmm. get to the timeline in a sense, well, I guess I'm a little confused in a way about like so who so, so these are kind of like Illuminati types right we're talking like super rich like because it's a remarkable that of all the secret societies this one's one of the few that didn't get out I mean it's a, it's a clearly a very secret society if like uh, you know it's not it's it's like very yeah. it's obscure as shit it's obscure as hell man it's like really you know what I mean? I only know you and a few other people who talk about this NIMSA group, and it's like, who who was in this group? You think who do you you know who do you think was in this group? I know you're not going to know like specific names, but what kind of types of people, and where and oh, I, and like where the fuck? How I assume a group that powerful is still around and sort of operating behind the scenes. So how did that evolution happen? Well, I do have some names for you. I have I list candidates or suspects, you might say, that in my opinion now. Again, I want to all you people that get alarmed at speculation. Yes, I. This is a speculation of mine, but in my analysis of who the likely NIMSA, you know, guys would have included, would have been industrialists. Okay, in the 19th century, German, Prussian industrialists, the 19th century, who also were into esoteric. Uh, sciences, alchemy, and the occult, and things like that. Now, uh, as I said in my book, Origin, I list some of them. Uh, the first one is Karl Reichenbach. He was a chemist, a geologist, a metallurgist. He, he was an industrialist, you know, a German industrialist. Um, he was a member of the Prussian Academy of Sciences, a philosopher member. 
okay? Uh, in my opinion, he would be a perfect candidate to have been one of the members of NIMSA. And uh, he lived until 1869. So he was alive through the Sonora um, Aero Club era. And how okay. big do you think the the core group of NIMSA in Germany is, or would be at the time, like when it formed? Um, we talk like a dozen, know, two dozen people. Well, uh, okay, if you, if you're talking the guys that were the the ones pulling the strings and running the show, yeah, yeah it, could, it could have been a dozen, it could have been twenty, but yeah, I mean the guys running it, you know, um, didn't need to be a large group. They just needed to be the powerful and influential. That's why I chose industrialists, and specifically the more mystical-minded industrialists. When you're a philosopher-scientist, as Reichenbach was, okay, you're what, what, that had a very specific meaning in those days. That meant you were, you know, one of these guys into, as I said before, alchemy and the esoteric stuff, okay? Friedrich Waniak was another one. Um, uh, this guy, uh, you know, Waniak was an industrialist, but he was also, you know, into into mystical things as well. And he lived, um, you know, he lived 1838 to 1919. So he lived all through what I'm arguing was the 19th century era of the NIMSA going into the 20th century. You know, and look him up, Waniak. You know, he was he was a a leading German industrialist. Another guy is Karl Kellner. Okay, I think he would have been somebody probably involved with uh, NIMSA. You know, he was a chemist. Well-known, you know, German industrialist. He's also famous for being, uh, you know, one of the founders of the OTO. Okay, so the, the, wow, there, there's your candidate for mysticism right there. So right. You have okay. So, a, a but from the, from the sound of it, all these dudes died out like before World War Two. So, do you think it got like passed down? Or do you think the society? What do you think? Oh, yeah, yeah, names, uh, faded away. It got passed down, and that's where we get when we get into the 1890s, and you have the German, the rise of German mysticism in German society, and how popular they were with, you know, the American and British, um, you know, spiritualists and, and mystic community, you know, as Blavatsky and Clara Bloomfield Moore and, and all of them were, and you know, and and when you're talking about Kellner. Um, Okay, he co-invented the Kastner-Kellner process, which involved mercury, okay? So some of the stuff he would have developed and advanced with handling and understanding the properties of mercury, remember, the Nazi bell used a mercury solution. So Kellner, some of the stuff he did, specifically with this mercury process he co-developed, okay, this would have been, in answer to your question, among the technological precursors to what the, was handed to the Nazis, okay? If, if Kellner was a NIMSA guy and, you know, he had discovered some things about mercury, you know, that that ended up in the Nazi bell process, there you go. That, I argue, is, you know, evidence of where the Nazis got, you know, some of these ideas to begin with. And uh, another guy named is Walter Rathenau, who would have been in the late 19th century, early, early 20th century, um, German industrialist, okay? And he was chairman of AEG, okay? E AEG has been famously connected to the bell. It allegedly was the electrical engineering firm that developed and built and, and, and created and, and used the bell. Yeah. Okay? So here you have Walter Rathenau, um, you know, who 
I think would have been, you know, a perfect candidate to be one of the uh, NIMSA guys and a bridge between that 19th century NIMSA and directly to the Nazis. Again, that answers your question. Where did the Nazis get this? Did they get it from the NIMSA? If Rathenau was indeed involved with NIMSA as chairman of AEG, the very firm that would go on and allegedly develop the bell, there's your there's one of your NIMSA connections right there. But you know, there's Halmer Schacht, there's uh, Karl Mariah Willigut, who was um, Willigut, who was very prominent in the SS with Heinrich Himmler, and he was very much a mystic, and in this uh, early 20th century uh, German mystic um, circles. So do you think? I guess. Uh, I guess the logical extension, in a sense, then, is like they, because I guess part of, I wouldn't say what makes me skeptical, but part of the stuff that sort of I have a hard time wrapping my head around is like I could see these sort of like genius eccentrics uh, developing air flight, you know, um, you know, uh, secretly in a sense, yeah, and sort of mastering it and shit. But like getting off world to me sounds too difficult for. Like uh, you know, uh, what would you call it? Eighteenth uh, century, an eighteenth century, nineteenth. I always get that wrong. Nineteenth yeah. century, uh, like culture to do. You know what I mean? Because it's like, yeah, uh, sure. I, I heard you on Greg Bishop's show. That's the only, like I said, that's the part where kind of stuck out. Because like if people, if like some dude from the eighteen sixties, like somehow got to like Mars, I don't think mm-hmm. he's coming back. I think it's like uh, no. It, well, and, and I don't think anyone in the 1860s got to Mars. Here's here's the way you got to look at it. Yeah. Okay, is if anyone tried this with this technology, it w- there's no way, in my opinion, it would have been attempted uh, before the 1890s, and very likely would have ended up killing them all you know, the minute they got high enough or far enough, you know, into the atmosphere. However, however, there was a guy named Oliver Heaviside, which, who, I should say, um, developed this theory um, that, and and I'm trying to find the page here in my book so that I can pronounce it right, but um, he had developed a theory of, uh, I think it was called GEM, and um, in his theory, you could create a force field around a, a, an object or a craft, and, uh, you know, I can't find it in the book. I yeah, apologize. like a geomagnetic bubble or something, probably. Something yeah, like exactly. Essentially, when you look at Heaviside, and I present it in my book, Origin, um, it, it, the fact that Heaviside came up with this, I think, in 1893 or 4, okay, the fact that a theory like that was out there, the fact that someone was thinking about this kind of thing, okay, what that does is that kind of changes how you look at it. You know, initially, uh, you know, like you, uh, like how could a guy in the 1890s try to travel to Mars? Well, I didn't know that Heaviside had developed this GEM in the 1890s, for crying out loud, during the airship mystery era, by the way. And, you know, then there's this weird legendary story, okay, um, that in 1903 someone might have allegedly tried this very thing. And I talk about it in the book. Tesla has been connected with it. Um, 
you know, I got it from Tim Swartz and uh, Sean Castile, and Tim Swartz tells me that uh, Jim Keith had mentioned that to him in an email that he had stumbled upon this in his research and didn't think much of it. But it's kind of interesting that it's out there. You know, you, there, there's this rumored tale of someone attempting to leave the planet and go to Mars, of all places, in 1903, okay? Oh, wow. And yet, 10 years prior, this Oliver Heaviside guy had developed GEM. And in the very definition of GEM, you could create a force field, a bubble, around a craft which could sustain life support. Wow. Okay, somebody was fooling with those concepts during the time of this rumored venture to Mars. Right. So that's where I admit even my proposal really has taken that wild step. Okay? Um, but it's food for thought. It's it's a thread that, you know, still needs to be pulled further and um, it, it's it's out there, right? Um, right. It's intriguing. It, see, like that, because the thing is, like the the other part that, like, I sort of look at it in the context of like how they came to America and shit. And it's like, unless you had a ship with like, a, I guess they wouldn't. You know, if you're planning on staying, you need a bunch of people. You know, you just can't send like two two people go to Mars. They're gonna look around, turn around, and go back. There's nothing you can, you know what I mean? It's like so. I'm kind of. I'm intrigued by the whole thing. Don't get me wrong, but to me, it's like, how would they fucking, you know? I don't think anyone's like. I don't think they like went and like settled on Mars, though. Well, uh, right. Uh, we well, we you know. We haven't even seen it. You're mentioning the territory where I'm not going to say either way. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, I totally 100% right here on your show acknowledge that it's highly. Impractical <laughs> and highly not likely based upon what we know. That's yeah. Okay. See, that's you kind of hit the nail on the head there. It's the the impracticality of it, where it's like, why the fuck would you <laughs> like, like why would you want to go to Mars, dude? Like even in the 1890s or whatever. Like there's nothing there. You know right. what are you gonna do? And like okay, so we'll set up a. a well, 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 hold on now. <laughs> now we're getting. Now we're gonna have some fun here. Good. Because yeah. we sure there was nothing there. What's being talked about for the last thirty years? Oh, I see is, what you're saying. Like ancient, ancient relics and type, type shit. Yeah. What the hell's really up there? Who the hell was really up there? Um, that kind of thing. Uh, remember Tesla in the following decades talked about receiving signals. Now <clears throat> there's a young researcher who really had, in my opinion, a, a quite of a brilliant insight. And he threw up his name's uh, uh, John Batista, okay? And um, he threw the question at me, what if the signals from Mars that Tesla talked about in, a, I think, a popular science article in the early 20th century said, what if those were actually the attempts at communication from that 1903 airship that went to Mars. Oh, wow. And I said, Jonathan, <laughs> that is amazing. I never thought about that because, you know, the article exists, you know, and I, I just, it, again, in the food for thought category. Yeah, no, no, but, that makes sense, yeah. yeah. yeah the, the, thing, the thing that Heaviside developed that, you, you know, really 
gives us pause is gravitoelectromagnetism, also known as GEM, published in 1893, okay, and uh, it was comprised of formal analogies between the equations for electromagnetism and relativistic gravitation, okay, and um, what's interesting is in GEM, it was discovered that counter-rotating wheels, where we heard counter-rotation before, the bell, it has two counter-rotating pieces. Remember that. In this case, counter-rotating wheels, and where have we heard of the rotating wheels? We've heard them throughout the descriptions, not only in the Sonora Aero Club, but through the 1890s airship mystery rotating wheels. Now, again, going back to Heaviside, in GEM it was discovered that counter-rotating wheels produced greater magnetic attraction than when rotating in the same direction. The toroidal mass rotational aspects of which may be applied to accelerate objects without those objects experiencing g-forces. Okay? Now, there's a guy who's figuring out how to use a technology on a machine, a, a craft, in this case a flying machine, that would protect the occupants from G-forces and the craft itself? Isn't that interesting? And that's in 1893. So then you go, again I say, you go to this 1903 rumor, you know, it begins to seem less zany, a little yeah, less absolutely. zany. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And believe me, I, I'm in the camp of like I want this shit all to be true. So like exactly, yeah, <laughs> you know, and me too. That's why you know I'm yeah. looking at this stuff. So, so the, the questions know, I ask are sort of like the ones that nag at me, where it's like my, uh, you know, it's like I, I catch myself from t totally diving in because it's like wait a minute, because like how would they if let's say they get to Mars, right? Yeah. Did they even know back then that, like, you couldn't just get out and walk around? Because I'm, like, half imagining some dude, he's, like, a, you know, God bless him, he's, like, the best genius ever, right. he figured it out, he got to fucking Mars, he's, like, I did exactly. it. He gets, he's, like, I'm going to get out of this bubble right now, and I'm yeah. going to fucking take a look around. And then, like, the yeah, bubble well, dissipates, hey, and his well, head explodes, and it's, like, you know. Well, let's do what Noah did. Let's release a bird. Let's put a little rabbit out there. Let's see That's what happens. True. You know, yeah. Now, here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. Now, consider this. This is a big doozy, okay? Um, who says that they couldn't have gotten out? Yeah, no, I was, that, that was a caveat to the question I should have included, that, like, we don't fucking... Yeah, I'm not basing this entirely on what they tell us. It's like... Exactly. I, I can't exactly. tell you for certain, folks. And, and when you... you, if, know, if you if you, you know, put aside all prejudices that, you know, you might have or whatever, and listen to what Hoagland has been saying about Mars, and not just Hoagland, people after him have pointed out that basically we've been lied to about Mars, and, uh, you know, the whole thing is they could have gone up there and discovered that, by gosh, there is an atmosphere, yeah, it is livable, and think about this. Let's say, let's pretend, okay, listeners, I'm speculating here, okay? Let's pretend that they did do this in 1903. They did go to Mars. They did discover that there's a habitable atmosphere up there. They did discover this ancient civilization has been there, and on and on and so forth, okay? Maybe that's the source of what NASA, you know, subsequently NASA and others learned about what's really on Mars, okay? These guys for decades have actually known what's really on Mars. Now, here's my problem. And yes, I do have a problem with my own theory about 
this. That's good. You know, that's like, yeah, 20th century that's why I like you because we can talk. We can talk shit and figure. You know, you can I, I shit around, big, and then it's like. But here's the problem with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Go ahead. I have two big fat problems. One of them's fatter than the other. Okay, and they're called World War One and World War Two. Mm-hmm. Now, you've got the Nimza, who, in my opinion, they were they were they were the guys who made the Nazi party happen, particularly the mystical aspect of the Nazis, the core Nazis who we think might have survived today. I, I think NIMSA was the organization, the group that made that happen, period. Okay. Now, so there you have them, and obviously they would be behind Nazi Germany, their creation. Okay. Now, if you had this, oh, and by the way, we haven't even discussed that this, the 1890s airship mystery, in my opinion, was an American thing, a secret American thing going on. That's a whole other aspect of my research we haven't touched on yet. And so, therefore, also, as an, you know, involved in that theory is that this group that did this in 1903 was not the NIMSA, was not a German group. It was the what I theorized was the American group. Yeah, it was like okay, a splinter so, group. Uh, this, this is the group yeah. that didn't want to weaponize the shit. It was the breakaway that emerged from the first American secret space program. Okay, that's a whole other conversation. But, yeah, it was an American breakaway. Now, they did this in – theoretically now, we're pretending. They do this in 1903. They're able to do it. Now, here's the problem. They've developed this. They've done these things. NIMSA has done what it's done, and NIMSA essentially is, you know, the, 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 the influence that, you know, resulted in the Nazi party and all the things they did. Where were these groups? Where was this American breakaway? Where was the NIMSA during the World Wars? Now, World War One, you know, air power had really just emerged then. They weren't using it to its full extent. That's famous. We know about Billy Mitchell and all that and the, the Navy being all butthurt and jealous because obviously air power was going to ascend, you know, um, and they didn't like that. And the Army guys, too, that kind of – they had a hard-on for the airplane guys and so forth. But right, World right. War II then proved – Air power, you know, um, trumps the sea power. Yeah, was was going to be it in the future. Now, now here's the thing: during these wars, particularly World War II, where were these breakaways? You know, we, why didn't we see the German wonder weapons advance and be used? Why didn't this so-called American group, you know, emerge to whoop ass on Nazi Germany? You know, uh, how come we we saw combustion engine airplanes, you know, and and diesel powered, you know, ships and submarines and things like that? How come, you know, there was this, you know, years long awful world war struggle that was going on when these breakaways, if they existed, you know, should have been in this futuristic battle going on? Where were right, they? Right. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I do I do discuss that, you know, in, in my stuff, that their goal, you know, their objectives for their, their thing, they, this is where it, it comes in that they're true breakaways. Basically, they're about themselves. And, you know, they, they use the nations of the world as chess pieces and pawns, and, and more specifically, in my opinion, the NIMSA. That gets, in, that gets into the whole... 20th century military industrial complex Illuminati New World Order stuff. Right. right, uh, right. Yeah, well, that makes sense in a, in a way because it's like. So all yeah, yeah all they have to give all this secret information out to everybody and shit, and they're probably like, right, yeah. why would we do that? Yeah. All this stuff about World War II and setting this up to say, yeah, that's my big problem. If I say this, 
if I think I'm right about all this stuff I've said regarding the breakaways and the airship mystery in this group in 1903 and the NIMSA, you know, helping the Nazi. If if I'm right about that, yeah, the big the big problem with that theory is where the hell were they during the World Wars? Now, other researchers like Joseph Farrell and and such will pick that up and they'll say, oh, well, here's the answer to that, Walter. Here's why. What's going on today is the reason why they were absent during the world wars is what some people have responded to me with that what's going on today well with all the stuff about you know new world order with all the stuff about illuminati type stuff with all the stuff about the elitists okay that that it has to do with and with today's it brings us back to the beginning of this conversation okay brings us back to where the the discussion about secret space program is today what I'm saying is all the stuff I've been talking about in my research is the historical thread that brings us up to today's secret space program issue. In my opinion, there are these two breakaway civilizations that are really the possessors and the the, the hand behind the secret space programs, okay? And they have their own conflict, mm. all right? Now, that doesn't mean that nations don't have their secret space program, because, again, a whole other conversation I go into in my book Shimmering Light and elsewhere, um, I lay out the actual facts, U.S. Air Force historical facts, to argue that the U.S. Air Force absolutely has, they did develop it, and they have to this day, a secret space program. Now, is it on the level of Battlestar Galactica up there? Oh, hell no. No, no, no. It's right. just a classified manned program. Oh, interesting. Uh, I, so, man, I go into the program. Cause shimmering light. What's that? I'm, I'm intrigued by the manned program part. Because, like, my oh, big, oh. my my oh, hatred, no. not of uh, people, I, I, it's kind of a running joke on the show. Like, my hatred of NASA and shit is like, because I, I'm like almost 40 and shit, and they still haven't gone back to the moon. I have serious doubts that they're. You know, quote unquote, you know, for real, like on back to the moon. So it's like, or or officially, let's say, you know what I'm saying. And it's when like, you I have my doubts. I'm gonna fucking see a moon. Like, what kind of a <laughs> shitty, what kind of a shitty, uh, you know, space agency slash species are we that we could get to the fucking moon like 50 plus years ago and we can't get back? Like, what are we, yeah. fucking morons? Like, what a or shitty, don't shitty... Go back. Yeah. Give me a break. Yeah, you know, right, the, the right. fact... None of it makes any sense. This has got you written all over it. The Mets stayed in a Pittsburgh hotel that also hosted a convention of people dressed up as furry creatures. Oh, no. Is this Wilbot's worst nightmare? No, it's worse than my worst nightmare. My worst nightmare is mascots. <laughs> Look at that. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. What, what are they let thinking, me, Bobby? I, let me tell you something. This is what, here's, here's the real story here. In 40 years' worth of being on the road, traveling around this great land of ours, checking into countless hotels of all stripes, here's what I've learned. There's a frightening amount of subcultures out there, Mike, and they all have conventions. <laughs> yeah, but you've never and seen I these people. I to understand one thing. I've never seen them. Stay away from me. That's, thank you very much. Yeah, well, of course, when you look at – when you take it at face value and believe the crap that NASA is our manned space program, yeah, it's frustrating and, and it's disheartening. But when you look at the actual history of the U.S. Army Air Corps and, and then it became the U.S. Air Force, when you go back and look at guys like Colonel Harry Armstrong and then when you look at Otis Benson who followed him – and I go into this in my book Shimmering Light, okay? The history of the U.S. Air Force – 
in my opinion, secret space program development is all right there, and you can find it in Air Force history. Harry Armstrong, back in the you know in the twenties and thirties, was researching, you know, was on the cutting edge of the American research into the effects of high altitude on you know air crews and pilots. Okay, Otis Benson picked up the torch, and Otis Benson from the get-go was pushing um, for manned space travel. Okay, now NASA. Oh, oh, by the way, the U.S. Air Force's pursuit for this, okay, um, is what really fueled Operation Paperclip. Yeah, there was the issue with they needed the guys to, you know, develop the bomb. Of course, all right. But the the lesser known part of Operation Paperclip, and this is in Paperclip history, folks. This isn't just speculative stuff. Okay, the lesser known part is. The one branch of service that was driving Operation Paperclip the hardest and the most was the United States Air Force. Ah, interesting. And they wanted the aerospace guys. They wanted the guys, Benson specifically, okay, in U.S. Air Force Aerospace uh, Medical Research Division, specifically wanted the Germans who could advance putting man in space. Okay, now NASA, some people know it, a lot of people don't. NASA, okay, is part of the Defense Department, all right? Project Mercury, which the movie The Right Stuff is about, okay, it was first a U.S. Air Force program. When NASA was stood up in 1958, Mercury was handed over to them, okay? But the U.S. Air Force was never told to stop pursuing this, okay? And I argue, again, referring to my book, Shimmering Light, I I lay out the history of this, and I argue that the Air Force continued to develop their manned space program. Now, again, we're not talking about some ridiculous advanced Battlestar Galactica Star Trek thing that's been going on since the 1950s. All we're talking about is a parallel space program where, yeah, I argue the U.S. Air Force has been launching manned missions into space all along since when NASA started it, the Air Force was doing it. Now people say, oh, Walter, that's ridiculous. I have a very good friend of mine, a lifelong friend, who just scoffed at that and said it's ridiculous. And like, why is that ridiculous? Well, because if if there's a human being on board a rocket, uh, we know about it because of all the telemetry and the, the this, that, and the other, blah, blah, blah. Well, I argue this. Okay, when they launch a missile from Vandenberg, now remember, I was an Air Force OSI agent. My supervisor, okay, I was at L.A. Air Force Base. That's a rocket design base, okay? The things that go on with rockets go on at L.A. Air Force Base. And I was, you know, involved with program protection, okay? Now, my boss, my immediate supervisor, was our agent representative to whenever the missiles, the, the rockets, I'm sorry, and, and advanced classified aircraft stuff was being transported on the ground. Okay, She was the OSI agent who went with them. Okay, And uh, so, you know, I, w- I was exposed to what I'm talking about here. Okay, mm-hmm. When they launch a U.S. Air Force rocket from Vandenberg, very, very often the payload is classified. The payload is delivered in a pod, okay? Now, I've heard guys say, well, my uncle was a a tech sergeant there at Vandenberg, and and this is bullshit what you're saying, Bosley, because my uncle was a tech sergeant involved with launches. (laughs) Well, that's nice that your tech sergeant uncle was involved with launches. That doesn't mean he knew what was in that payload, 
okay? And that payload, if delivered in a pod, okay, just for grins and chuckles, the manned crew could be put inside the payload pod, okay, which has its life support systems, all right, and the telemetry and all that, whatever you want to point out, could be classified on classified means, classified channels, and they deliver that pod, and those technicians launching that rocket could have no idea that there are people on board that rocket. It is possible, and therefore, if it's possible, it must be considered that it has been done and is being done. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I don't, yeah, I don't have any problem uh, entertaining that notion at all. You know, it's like they launched some secret satellite that no one knows what it even does, so who the fuck, you know, that's, we know that for sure. You know, and, and that's just rockets now. That's yeah. just rockets. We know that, for instance, SR-71 pilots have astronaut wings, okay? And, and, you know, how long has that thing been around? You know, and it goes, you know, they say it goes suborbital, okay? Another little thing that the military has always liked to do is lie about the ceilings of their aircraft for good reason. You know, oh, this aircraft goes to this many hundreds of thousands of feet when actually it can go double that perhaps or, you know, another 50%. You know, because you don't want the opposition to really know the, yeah, uh, you know, the limits or the extent of the capabilities of the platform. And, uh, you know, so uh, between the shuttles and between the mysterious Aurora aircraft that people have been talking about, you know, I, I would venture to say the United States Air Force and the United States Navy has plenty of options for getting people up in space. So, well, what the hell do you think they're doing up there? Uh, I think that would be kind of obvious. There's probably orbital, you know, uh, defense stations. Um, and uh, you, you mentioned the moon. I, I don't for a minute think we stopped going to the moon. Uh, you know, they had this on the books in the 50s, building moon stations. What makes us think that they didn't do it? And if you take my premise that I just laid out, wow, okay, it's very possible that, you know, they they might have a defense station, you know, uh, communications or, or observation, whatever. You know, you could list a whole bunch of military needs. It's defense-related stuff primarily, but I think there's also probably exploration involved in that. Yeah, That's why I personally, I have no evidence other than the kinds of things I talk about and stuff. That's why I personally think we've put boots on the ground on Mars. Well, if you get a base on the moon, it's easy to get to Mars relatively because it's a lot more over the gravity and shit, right? It's not well, it's, it's a longer trip. There's resources, blah, 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 blah. I, I mean, come on. It's 2017. Uh, yeah, I think we've put boots on Mars uh, easily since, you know, 1970. And, and I, I, I say, I mean... Uh, it wasn't easy. I don't mean when I say easily. I don't mean it was. It, it was likely. It's quite a venture. But you know, come on. It's 2017. Yeah, I think we've done it. I don't think it's unreasonable. No, no. The only thing that's like, I wouldn't even call it unreasonable. It's more or less like frustrating in a sense, where it's like, why the fuck are they keeping this a secret from us, dude? It's not fair. Like, ah, well, <laughs> like, maybe maybe they do indeed know something. Let's entertain the possibility. Maybe they do know of some threat that, for whatever reason, or or here's the possibility. All these people, you know, they get a woody over disclosure. Disclosure, disclosure. You know, for what we've listened to, what, four presidents now are going to be the disclosure president? Okay, this guy's it. He's going to be the disclosure president. Come on, guys. Disclosure, yay. Um, you know, we've been hearing about this. You know what? Maybe those who they want disclosed don't want to be disclosed. I say 
the ETs, the off-planet people, whoever they are, I think they're driving that train. I think they're saying, no, you will not disclose us. I think that's very possible. Yeah, I think that's – the more I've gone into this, the more I think like, yeah, there's like three – to steal a sort of phrase like from you were saying before, it's like the three camps in a sense. It's like the people that are like, you know, the disclosure people say, oh, the government's just keeping it a secret. That's like the basic, you know. And then it's like the aliens, whatever they are, let's don't jump on me, folks. Uh, they don't want us to know. So, the you know, then there's just the whole thing that it's like completely, we can't just, we just can't figure it out. We, nobody knows, you know. Yeah. We, and we don't even know if the fucking, if the aliens are the the other that's probably the best way to put it. Even gives a fuck of, you know, because there's nothing to disclose. We don't know what it is. So, well, and the disclosure, the disclosure uh, crowd, you know, they don't. It doesn't even cross their mind to to think that maybe, you know, the 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 others don't want to be disclosed. They're they're so wrapped up in believing that, you know, there are are uh, uh, cosmic angel space brothers that want so much to lift our souls to a vibration to save the world that you know that evil nasty you know American military and NASA and stuff is you know the only stumbling block. Give me a break. If you're talking about this civilization the way they describe them and believe them to be, they would just laugh if they wanted to be disclosed and shove the government aside and say, here we are, everybody. So, and, But you never hear these people because it's wishful thinking. What it is is you got a lot of people, they really think that they see themselves as Richard Dreyfus in Close Encounters. Where, you know, someday it's going to come out of the sky, and the little aliens are going to come down and lift them on their little fingers and effervescently take them away to the other world. And, and this is the fantasy they live under. Or they think they're Elliot from E.T., and they have a heart connection. You know, and or, no, and there's also the, they think they're uh, Woodward and Bernstein, or they think they're like, yeah. you know, they think that they're – they think that they are going to be the one to break this. Yeah, exactly. Open. It's like, do you get they're, they're going to, And think about that. What are we talking about here? Where it, it's back to the self, that particularly the guys that think they're going to be the ones to break it. Um, it, it. Okay, so what's your motive? Is your motive really to find the truth, or is your motive to be the guy? And here's another little thing. I think you've been involved in a conversation like this that I've had with Greg and others. Uh, I think these others, I, I mean the, the others with the big O, not other people we've talked about, talked with, um, I think these others, these, this, this other race, these beings or whatever, um, there's a factor here where uh, somehow the individual's intentions are involved with how much they learn or how much they find out. Right. Or how much, right? Where if their intention seems to be true and and uh, noble, so to speak, I'm searching for words here, then, you know, they like that. They'll show them a little more. Maybe they'll, you know, reveal a little more truth or whatever. Lead the, but uh, the well, people in a sense, that, if you think about it, if you take that to an even deeper level, it's like, I mean, I like the human race. It's done a lot of good things. I'm a part of it, of yeah. course. But at the same time, we have to agree that it's kind of a shitty a shitty species, so it's like we may not have earned admission into the understanding club. You know, how I mean? do we know? So, how do we know they're so much better than we are? I argue that they're just like us. <laughs> very, I argue like that this. they're just like us. They just have better technology or advanced technology. That's all. Yeah, I think if anything, I wouldn't say they're better than us. Uh, uh, yeah, they're like, in a sense, I think we're kind. Of, 
now now we're getting like really uh, interplanetary xenophobic here, but <laughs> species xenophobic. But I, yeah, I mean, hey man, they they all they they like have like a hive mind it seems. So to me, it's like if we're talking about aliens per se, it's like uh, yeah, I'd rather be, I, I hope, I, I, be I, a I, human I, than an alien, dude. We're we're unique and interesting. They're like fucking boring. <laughs> if they're the greys, yeah, you know, these robotic things. There's another little dirty secret. I honestly think that, um, uh, you know, that there's human beings exactly like us out there. Now, some people say, oh, oh, that's impossible because scientists say that, you know, the human beings like us could only develop here on this planet. It's like, you know what, until, until some scientist has gone to every world, every planet in the known universe – Okay, and proven that there is no other Earth-like planet just like ours, they cannot say that. Okay, there could be Earths exactly like this one here, and there could, there's, could be human beings yeah, exactly sure. like us here. And until somebody goes and visits every planet in the known universe, that kind of crap cannot be fall, you know, fallen back upon. You, you can't argue that. So I think there's human beings. That, and again, going to Hoagland, he, and I agree with this. I've agreed with this for years that, you know, human race has its origins, you know, elsewhere. Specifically, he says Mars. I, why not? Yeah, no, I mean, I've, again, like we were talking about earlier, it's like I, in the in the annals of shit I want to be true, I've always been a sort of <laughs> like uh, believer in the, um, like the idea that, that like, that, that Earthlings came from another from, came from Mars essentially. You know that's kind of my. I really hope that's true because to me it like makes more sense. It'd be know? cool. Yeah, it'd be it'd be really cool. Well, I put it this way: I think that I, ju- I I I just hope and think that like the origin of our species is not like the way they told us it is. You know what I mean? Like we didn't just crawl out of the fucking water as amoebas and shit and turn into. Through that. Yeah. So it's yeah. like something fucking happened, something awesome and cool, I hope, presumably. Yeah, and to bring it back to the whole beginning of our discussion here, I want to point something out. Notice we've gone off on you know our various threads here and, wow, this, wow, that crazy thing. Notice the words we're using. We speculate. We think. We hope. Wow, wouldn't it be interesting if. Okay, listen to the terms in which we have this discussion, and you listen to all the examples. I whipped out my books here, and I pointed to this historical figure in that document, blah, blah, blah. Notice the difference between the discussion we've been having when we've begun to throw things out there and what these so-called whistleblowers do, okay? We, at no time, you know, did, I don't think I've said, it's an absolute fact what I'm saying here, this crazy thing or that crazy thing to somebody, okay? Um, you know, and and that brings us back to the beginning. The whole reason that I get frothed up and worked up over what these whistleblower guys are doing is because they just come out and they state this stuff without any caveat to it at all, without any evidence, without any documentation, and they're just being given the center ring at the big circus, and serious researchers, better than me, doing this longer than me, are just being pushed aside and marginalized, you know, and, and virtually ignored. And, it's you know, that's tragic. Um, right, right. Well, they can't add caveats. They can't be like, because they're just, it's just like, it's just like their story. You know what I mean? That's why I've always had a hard time even with people who have just general, like, an abductee or something. You know what I mean? It's like, 
It's just I don't know what I can do with your story, dude. You know, and it's like and, it's, and, I feel and, like and, a dick and, in a way because it's like any time I any critical questions I might have, it's like comes off as like I don't believe you, but it's like there's no other. <laughs> You know, otherwise, what do I do? Go, ah, shucks, that's wicked cool. And then what yeah, happened? Exactly. Like, that, that would yeah. be the other fucking option for an interview, and I would, like, shoot myself. And not to say that there's not people out there experiencing real things. Not wow, to say yeah, that yeah, no one's saying that, yeah. I think they are. I think there are people experiencing just really weird stuff and these otherworldly things, what we call otherworldly. Um, they, they just uh, – and they come away with, you know, no physical evidence, and, and it's no fault of their own, you know. Um, it, it, what we can do is listen to these stories, document what they say, you know, have it there available so that as – maybe certain physical evidence pops up, we can go to that file and say, oh, wait a minute, this object or this document finally backs up what this experiencer said. See, exactly. and, and so the, the, there's absolutely, of course, value in these stories. So I don't believe in throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I don't believe in just discounting all experiencers just because these whistleblower guys are full of crap. You know? No, um, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this, this stuff like... Didn't I think I heard somewhere it might have been from you? Now we're gonna hit like the top of the hour. You want to keep going for a while because we've like oh, however long you want to go, as awesome. long as this is interesting to you and your listeners. I'm having a blast, and I assume they are too. And if they're not, hey, it's my last season, so I can do what I want, right? <laughs> okay. Uh, what I think, yeah, yeah, I lost my train of thought there because I was being clever, but <laughs> but Me? um. Oh, yeah, these whistleblowers and shit. Yeah, I mean, it's, at the end of the day, it's just like their story, and there's not really much you can do with it. And it's like, I, I, oh, that's what I was going to say. I, I think it was you, because you're the one who was sort of my main conduit to following a lot of this drama and shit. And it's like, did, did Dolan say in, at MUFON that, like, I guess it was the point I wanted to make, and I was going to make it, and then I was like, oh, I think Dolan said that. That's how I got off this train of thought. Was uh, these people need to, like, have some kind of fucking proof. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or else they gotta like seed the seed the microphone. You know what I mean? Because they, they remind me of people. And I don't know how. I'm sure you've been to a lot of these conferences, but they do like the Q and A thing. You know, oh, yeah. at the end, and there's always like one guy who fucking. If it's an hour long Q and A, there's always one guy who takes like ten to fifteen minutes and eats like a quarter of it, so he can fucking, you know, just ruin it. Now, they every- had they had people try to do that at the San Mateo Secret Space Program conference. And they shut them down. They said, you know what, no, no, we, we need to pass the mic and get another question in here. And the beauty was most of, most of the crowd was, you know, telling them to, you know, to stop. The, uh, yeah, you get know, to the, the next, point. That's the thing, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Get to the point or, or, as you said, hand over the mic. My understanding um, is that, yes, at this closing panel at the MUFON thing in Vegas, my understanding is that Dolan said exactly that that it's time that Corey Good and Basiago and Tompkins and these guys, it's, they have to start providing some type of documentation or evidence or something that is either verifiable or falsifiable, that we, can, we, we just cannot, we cannot, as you say, give them the, continue with the spotlight and the mic, you know, being hogged by them and applauding them and exalting them, and they're giving nothing, you know, other than, their their story right yeah he says that you know essentially i'm I'm paraphrasing and essentially they've had their time it's either put up or shut up well that's ironic in a sense too because uh 
I don't know how you feel about this whole thing because it was funny. Somebody mentioned this uh, on my Twitter. It was like, I got that distinct impression. I'm one of the few people who got to interview Gary McKinnon back during the drama when he was facing deportation or whatever it's called. Uh, What is that called? Extradition. Um, And I interviewed him like, shit, 10, 11, 12 years ago. Um, And I came out of it feeling like, you know, with all due respect to him and whatever the fuck legal plight he was involved in and everything, he came off to me as like, as, as exactly like one of these whistleblower dudes. Like, he didn't have anything to offer as far as anything you could pursue to actually verify what he was talking about. And I said to him in the interview, I'm like, I, dude, you know, we need a, like a name. We need like anything that we can just like dig into. And he said, oh, you know, I was so fucked up when I did all this that I don't remember anything like that. Oh, how convenient. Yeah. So to me it was like, I think, honestly, he just got busted for hacking into some computers and shit and made up a crazy story in the hopes that that might get him out of it. You know what I mean? Well, and, you know, but who knows? Point- there may be, like, a lot of layers of espionage involved, too. Well, well, people – yeah, there you go. Um, people point to certain files and – you know, documentation he, uh, you know, apparently found, like, you know, lists of actual crew members of interstellar military craft, that kind of thing. And I admit, I'll say right here, I haven't dug too deeply into the whole McKinnon thing. What little I've seen of it, um, it, it seemed like there was a lot of leaping from what he actually got and what the assumption of, you know, the interpretation of that yeah, is. Yeah, because this story about his names and shit, I'm, I'm, I mean, I asked him outright if there were any names, and he said he didn't get any, so I don't know where that came from. Oh. So, that, yeah. I mean, I, I may have to go back and listen to that interview, but I'm like 99% sure it was like, dude, you have any name, any, you know, anything we could do an FOIA on, you know? And it was like, no. So then it was like, well, what the fuck more do I – what can you do uh, to, to circle back to these whistleblowers? It's like, what can you do – at some point, all you're doing is just listening to them tell stories. Like, what good, what good is it, dude? I mean, if that, yeah, that's – yeah. I mean, if you're placated by hearing fucking stories, that's fine. But, Jesus, that's not what I'm in this shit for. It's – to me, it's like pop culture. There are trends. There are things that are popular. You know, back in the 80s, the Rubik's Cube was popular for a while. You know, the Beanie Babies were popular. The, you know, you name it. Yeah, and, and really, to me, that's what these whistleblowers are like. Ooh, it's fun. Ooh, it, oh, yeah, it gets, sure, yeah. you know, you start thinking all sorts of fascinating things. But in the end, like you say, they don't offer a damned thing, you know, um, as regards anything that that you know even if even if it can be proven to not be true or not be accurate or or as i say falsifiable or or not verified offer some type of documentation you know offer something as evidence um don't just say here's my testimony you know you have to accept this because i'm an earnest nice guy Right. That's the other thing they do. They come out with their stuff, and then when people start smelling the BS and start raising the flag and saying, hey, wait a minute, you're full of crap, or when some of their followers are doing things like meme stealing and research lifting and, you know, appropriating other people's work, you know, and in- you're kind of implying it's their own, um, and people get tired of that crap, what they do is they retreat into this 
this nicey, nicey, I'm just a quiet little guy. All these people are being mean to me. Corey Good's done that. They're being so mean and attacking me, and I don't understand, you know. And then, it, really, their followers are the rabid attack dogs. You know, oh, that's God. what's going on with the Corey Good thing is, is uh, there, like there's a bunch of followers that are, that are the, the attack dogs. Well, stay the so. fuck away from me, folks. I don't want anything to do with you people. Uh, <laughs> you know, to me, it's like, well, that's the fucked up part, though, because, like, you know, last week we slammed on the UFO consumers, and I, I always slam on the UFO consumers, and it's like, the people who are consuming this stuff, like, this dude, I mean, any of these people, I don't, I'm not singling anybody out, the people, the whistleblowers, they're fucking, like, world-building folks, they're just, like, crafting this world and shit, mm-hmm. um, and the fucked up part, I guess, the, the disturbing part to me, is that like there are people who who that's that 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 is their fucking reality now. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's their reality. I saw a dude on Facebook who genuinely said he was going to vote for fucking Andrew Bassiago for president in the last election. So <laughs> really, like, like anyone who's listening, I don't know. You probably know this, Walter. I'm no fan of Trump, but like I'd vote for Donald fucking Trump before I'd vote for Andy Basiago for president. <laughs> All right? So, like, like who the fuck... You know, it's yeah, it's a strange fucking world, folks. It yeah. really is. I've seen people that are, that are hand-to-the-Bible believers in this shit that's mm-hmm. like, that's their fucking worldview, that, 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 that this Corey Good guy was a toddler astronaut. And, yeah. and so that's where it's troubling to me, that, like... There's no disconnect. There's no like, oh, he says this. It could be interesting. It could be real. It's just they fucking just eat it up, bro. It's fucking scary. Yeah, and apparently there's some people that knew him before all this. You know, um, there's this girl. There's a couple of guys. And they've come out, and they said, this is a load of crap. This guy was a blowhard nerd who, you know, the the kind of guy that, you know, I, one of these days I'll be famous and you'll all be sorry kind of thing. You know, and that's kind of the way they characterized him from knowing him, you know, when he was a teenager and in school age and stuff. And, of course, his followers really, you know, they came after those people. And uh, it, it's almost – and here's the other disturbing thing. It, it's – I'm sure you've heard of the stuff that Daniel List, dark journalist, has put out there that that emphasizes the cult-like aspects of this whole – Blue Sphere Alliance and uh, the whole Corey Good Blue Avian thing. Oh, that's the other thing. When he goes as a galactic ambassador, okay, when they come to get him for a big uh, powwow up yeah. there in the stars, they send a blue bubble and it envelops him and carries him off to the Galactic Federation station where he gets all the, the latest from the bird people. You know, all the cockadoodle do. And, uh, you know, got that, one and question. How the fuck do you breathe in that bubble? You don't. <laughs> well, well, no, no, no. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I have to caveat that. According to Oliver Heaviside, as I said before, That's that true. bubble, you know, it could be GEM, gravity. Now, you watch. What is today's date? August 1st, 2017, right? He's going to bring in the Jeep. They're going to adopt the Jeep. You damn, you watch. After this date, you're going to hear the Corey Good people say, oh, he's been talking about Oliver Heaviside all along. And you know what? Maybe he did mention it before August 1st, but I wrote about it in 2015 in this context. So well, I still it, take issue you know. then with a 
<laughs> I take issue with with uh with heavy side too. It's how the fuck do you breathe in a little bubble like that if you're traveling like all the way to Mars? You just can't. Oh yeah, yeah. You you could totally take issue with the heavy side thing. You could to- yeah, But yeah. we're talking about the we're talking about this this thing here with the co-opting this, of the whistle. You know, and the co-opting and the appropriating. I wouldn't be surprised if you know that's going to be the just what we said. The the you know good will say well the blue bubble is just like Oliver Heaviside's principle. It's GEM blah blah blah. Yeah yeah. And yeah. Yet there will be no mention of any, you know, this conversation you and I are having. It's just one of their lackeys or cronies is listening to this, you know, and taking notes. And, um, you know, that's how that happens. But uh, well, I hope they're enjoying the show, nonetheless. Yeah. We aim to entertain. That's the... <laughs> yeah, I, ho- I hope it's entertaining. Yeah. And I know I'm not making, I'm not making friends in, in some circles, you know. And in the interest of disclosure, there's the word. Um, how ironic. So uh, as far as Gaia TV, we haven't really talked about them much, but I have talked about the stuff that they're backing, like this bullshit mummy thing we haven't even discussed yet. Um, I've been on a Gaia show. I was on Sean Stone's Buzzsaw earlier this year. Probably won't be asked again (laughs) because I've been so vocal, but, uh, you know, oh well. Don't worry about her. Uh, We're going to hit the live wall in a minute, folks, so thank you to all the people who tuned in. This thing flew by. This was a wild one. We're going to keep going for a while, uh, but you're not going to be able to hear it live. So thanks to uh, Vamp Elvis and John Ostanes and uh, Digger Dog and Alligator and all these different little unnamed guests who showed up in the live chat. And if you want uh, Walter's books, go to lulu.com and search Walter Bosley. Or go to lulu.com slash spotlight slash lost continent L-I-B. And that'll, uh, that'll bring you to Walter's bookstore where they have all kinds of shit on there, all kinds of good books and stuff. Uh, and what else? Walter's on, let me see, give you all the, all the plugs now so people can. He's on Twitter, WB Bosley. And uh, just go to my thing, you'll be able to find him. And he's also on Facebook. So. And he's, uh, he's very prolific on the social media. So, I like that. <laughs> For better or worse. You, yeah, well, you put out interesting shit, you know. At least it's not like people complaining about shit all the time, you know. Good. Well, I hope it's interesting to some folks. Because I'm being honest. It's sincere. It's not shtick. It's it's couched in humor. Well, what I find interesting about all this is, like, uh, is that it's – it's just I always sort of find the, the people fascinating and shit. So to me, it's like it's just fascinating that there's this this subculture of secret space enthusiasts, and then there's this like I said before, like this battle for the soul of secret space research. It's like who the fuck knew that? Who you know? If it wasn't if I wasn't on your Twitter thing, I never would have known that there was this sort of like thing erupting. So I'm glad we got you on the show to talk about it because it's like. This is something that people can look back on in five or ten years, and they'll probably be able to see how this all shakes out. You know what I mean? I, I, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. I, you know, I think um, part of this, the reason for this is, you know, when, when the serious UFO researchers, you know, back um, in the 50s and 60s and uh, the 70s, um, when they saw how the New Age contactee folks were – you know, encroaching upon their thing, and then when they saw how it really dug in in the 80s, um, I remember this, Tim. In in 1980, 81, 82, 
you could go into a bookstore, and all through the 70s, of course, you could go into a bookstore up until about 1982 or 3, and you could get, you could see the metaphysics section with all the new agey stuff, okay, all the metaphysical stuff, and there was literally a separate section on UFOs, and it was all, you know, books about this case, that case, nuts and bolts, what are these things, what could they be, blah, 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 right. and then by the mid to late 80s, it had all been mashed together, and it became harder to find a nuts and bolts, so to speak, UFO book. Uh, there were very few out there. Uh, you know, R Kevin Randall and Stanton Friedman and them would, you know, they'd write about Roswell. They'd write about, you know, these kinds of Don Ecker, you know, was uh, a nuts and bolts guy, you know, at that time. But what happened was this whole mystical, new age, contacty, spiritual thing just totally ate it and absorbed it and tainted it, infected it with uh, the nonsense deeper than it had ever been. And now, you know, when we, uh, you know, us SSP guys, and I humbly include myself in that, I mean, I've spoken at one of the events, I've written three or four books on this now that involve this, um, you know, uh, we are seeing this happening to this field that we've been working hard in, and yes, we're, we're going to be vocal. We're not going to let this happen if we can prevent it. You know, it's, we are not, no, Corey Good is not the damned primary advocate of secret space program. That is a load of bullshit that I and others in this field find deeply offensive. And um, it's just because people with money and big, you know, media sticks are doing this on purpose. And they're just doing it for more money. It's a circus to them. Okay? And it's easier to sell a circus of crap that you don't have to prove, you don't have to do any real work or research. It's easier to produce content like that than it is to do the stuff that people like Farrell and Fitz and, and uh, McCandlish and Schratt. And, and you. And me, you know, have done. Don't be modest. Um, you know, so, uh, uh, but yeah, it, it's, that, that's why it's so frustrating, you know. And then there's the mummy. <laughs> oh, yeah. The less said about the mummy, the better. I don't even... I just, that's, I was, you know, Greg and I do this annual, like, top ten UFO stories. I wouldn't even, like, put that in the ten, you know, like, even the five majors. Good you know. for you. Yeah, no, that's just a, that's a clown show, you know. It's just a clown show. That's, like, the third, that's it. that's the second, like, alien, little alien, uh, actually, third, because Stephen Greer had a little alien. That's, like, that's, like, the third little alien I've seen, like, in three or four years. So, it's, like, you know, nothing, you know, it, if anyone ever finds a little alien, folks, like, you won't hear about it till like, they know for sure it's a little alien. Yeah. That's kind of a good rule of thumb to use. Like, you know, if you hear about a little alien because some dude found it, like, it's not a little alien. <laughs> oh, oh and, and even once they know that it is, we still might not hear about it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just mean, like... Sure. I, you know, for all these people that like, you know, I, as much as people like to decry fake news and shit, it's like I probably won't really believe they found an alien unless like National Geographic reports it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. You there? Yeah, I'm okay, here. Okay, I thought I lost you for a minute. Yeah, like yeah. if you, if well, you, no, if I've just run in my mouth so much in the first two hours, I'm trying not to. There you go. Well, we're, we're jamming now anyway. But yeah, yeah. Like yeah. if somebody finds a little alien, it's. They somebody like someone of of some legitimacy would be like, okay, this is a real little alien. We need to 
we need to take the steps to, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. ensure that it's on the up and up and shit, you know. Right. So that's why, like, it's to me, it's like it, this is maddening in a sense. You see people that some of these stories where it's like, we found a little alien, we're going to tell the world, and then we're going to have it scientifically tested. It's like, no, yeah, exactly. dude, like, have it scientifically so tested first. The other thing that some people are doing, and this is very frustrating too, is in the spirit of, uh, you, you know, I, I, I'm with people. I think there's ETs out there. I want them to find one disclosure when it happens to be totally cool. I'm all for it. But that doesn't mean I'm going to entertain every bullshit story, and I think bullshit flags need to be thrown in some of these cases. But there's these people out there that say, now look, you're right, it might be BS, but we have to let them do their whole process before we say that. In other words, we have to play nicey-nicey you know, until it's proven otherwise, even though, again, without going you know, off on a tangent on it, We've got the mummy and Jaime Massans in there. What more do you need to know, particularly right. after the Roswell mummy thing? Okay, They don't even want people to throw the bullshit flag on it over that because they think that, well, in the spirit of wanting to believe, we need to give everybody a chance. So in other words, Jaime Massan can wheel out one of his bullshit mummies 12 times a year, and we've got to give it respect and attention you know, every time until proven false. And who are these? You know, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know who these people are that are saying that, but they're fucking idiots. So I don't. <laughs> like, I, honestly, I see it mostly in forums. Yeah, yeah. Well, with all due respect to those folks, they're fucking idiots. Because it's like, yeah, if if you want to give them, the, if you want to entertain that shit, then go for it. But you know, to me, there's only one value in that sort of thing, and that's the spectacle of it. Where it's like, <laughs> look at this. These folks say they found a mummy. You know? Is it an alien? Is it not? I have no idea. Check it out. It looks suspicious, but it's an alien. It's an alien yeah. mummy or something. You know what I mean? It's like, but to give them, yeah. It's, it's, it's just madness. The whole, as I said, it goes back to, as I said on the other show and earlier tonight, it goes back to the, the UFO consumer. That's what people want. You know? They want the crazy shit. Yeah. And, and, you know, my thing is fine. Um, let there be I, – I don't think that stuff should not be allowed. Let them have their thing. Let them do their thing. But don't let them appropriate, you know, the work of serious researchers. Oh, yeah, don't absolutely. let you know, taint or infect the serious side of the, the field. You know, do your own thing. Have your little New Age circus show, and, you know, great. More power to you. I hope you make a million dollars. But – Stop with trying to legitimize your bullshit by appropriating the serious research or, or you know, stop trying to legitimize by association, you know, and then picking and choosing. Oh, you to go along with this, you know, you'll, you know, you'll get to be part of the circus. You guys who call BS on us, you know, we're going to push you down, going to marginalize you, you'll be... You know, there there will be no more conferences for you. There will be no more, you know, uh, uh, venues for you. And, uh, you know, that's the thing that a lot of us don't want to see happen. Yeah, no, I mean, believe me, it's... Well, there's a fine line between the people who take this, uh, you know, the folks who are serious about this shit, you know, and who can, like, 
just laugh at these whistleblowers. I mean, that's all I can do is fucking laugh at them because it's like, yeah. like I, that interview show we mentioned earlier where the girl was like, or the lady, or the woman, excuse me. I don't know what's politically correct anymore. <laughs> the woman, that definitely is, is okay, um, said, uh, he's, she said, like, he's got a lot of big projects coming out, and they triggered, triggered the haters because he's going to have a comic book, and it's like, a fucking comic book, dude? Like, really? Like, that yeah. tells you everything. That should just tell you everything you need to know. You know, if, like, if you're if you're a whistleblower of a secret space battalion and your, you know, your avenue is a fucking comic book, like, come on, folks. Do I have to make a drawing for you? Like, it's bull. Man, it's it's just it defies common sense. Yeah, they're they're using and and the the creepy thing is they're using what are distinctly cult like tactics, you know, that have been used by New Age gurus in the past and and present um, to push this agenda. This this guy's you know this guy's whole thing. You, you know, they're they're using these these cult like tactics. To push now, I'm I'm cynical about it. I say it's ultimately to just make as much money as they possibly can. Um, and again, that in itself isn't evil. But you know, we all we all as human beings, you know, we we think that there's there's validity or whatever, social validity, whatever you want to call it, humanity. <clears throat> and you write a book, you make a product, put it out there on the market, get out there and talk about it. You know. And your intentions are kind of more pure. You know, hey, you want to make some money, you've produced something that people want, right? But when you get into, you know, uh, fooling with people's belief systems and manipulating their emotions and their psyches, most people say, ooh, I I don't care how much of a capitalist I am. I No, no, that's wrong. I don't want to see that kind of crap, you know, succeed in the market. And that's Unfortunately, what this whole thing that they're doing with these whistleblowers and, you know, good in particular, is smelling like. Yeah, yeah. Well, to make an analogy for me, it's like my 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 line in the sand, I guess you could say, is just like uh, in the paranormal world, is like if it's if it it has to be more like pro wrestling than than a fixed boxing fight, if that makes any sense. There has to be a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. There has to be sort of like an acknowledgement. If you're if you're gonna be kind of like a phony ass and shit and make shit up, then you gotta at least kind of uh, make it <laughs> make it so crazy that like people know you're, you know, that you're kind of like making it up. And if you're, and it, it, at least it, it's hard to sort of you know put into words, but I think you can kind of get what I'm saying. And it's like, but if, but a fixed boxing fight's like, well, you're just outright trying to get people to believe something that's not on the up and up. You know exactly exactly that that's something that is is underhanded and and dishonest and sleazy, right you know, right, whereas the other thing is just theater exactly and, it's like weekly world news it's like I never got pissed off at weekly world news, like I knew I was in on the joke, you know, and you know the irony here is that 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 good and and them you know the that type of show they could make in my opinion just as much money. Uh, you know, 
going the, the, the wrestling route where, you know, whether they think people take it seriously or not doesn't matter. And even if they think people would think it's a big joke, they could still make as much money if, you know, with, if that's their objective, um, which means all the more creepiness uh, factor that you get the feeling that, that they really want to get into people's minds, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, to what end, you wonder? Again, to what end? It's very weird. Well, and then that that raises the whole question that others, like you know Daniel List and others, have asked: Who's really behind this guy? Right, who's really behind saying, yeah. these guys? Which goes back to my option too: that they're being handled, either wittingly or unwittingly, cooperatively or you know whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, and that's where it gets dangerous because if there really is somebody behind them. They are the ones with the the agenda. Yeah, they are, sure. They, or will get scary. And, and anyone yeah. who's like thinks this is like some crazy cloak and dagger shit, it's like not really. Because if one of these, if you're out there spinning yarns about how you were a toddler astronaut, all it takes is like, all honestly, and I'm sure you'll agree with me on this one, Walter. All honestly, it would take is like a dude in a suit, or not even in a suit, just a dude who looks like you would fucking believe him, coming up to you at a conference, taking you to the side and being like, I know what all you're saying is bullshit, but some of the things you're saying, you're closer mm-hmm. to the truth than you may think. That's all mm-hmm. it would take. <laughs> like, then they're off to the fucking races, dude. Oh, yeah, well, another issue I have is, again, with Corey Good. Or, or even Bassiago, if what they're saying about what they were involved in was true, okay, the reason I say bullshit is because these organizations would have silenced them a long time ago. Yeah, well, I would think even, yeah, that's like the old Alex Jones argument in a sense, where it's like, why are you still talking, dude, if you're, <laughs> if you're, if you're, exactly, been, you know, they, they would have taking down the New World Order for 20 years. <laughs> yeah, they would have been any. They would have been Danny Casalard a long time ago. Right, right, exactly. And one would assume if you were part of the toddler astronauts, and mm-hmm. like, I would assume, and you're going to go public with your role in in the TRs, you're going to tell somebody off on the QT, and then they'd fucking get you. They take you out before you even went public with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, because here's the thing. It's like the, one of the greatest know. secrets one, ever. They need to keep. <laughs> they're keeping one thing I learned, those folks. One thing I learned after a career being involved with the intelligence community is, and, and, you know, this is my experience, you never know throughout your life and in your life, you never know who around you, okay, on the job or off the job especially, is actually part of the game. Yeah. You could have a neighbor <laughs> that's been part of the game for years and you had no idea. Okay, and so there you are, you know, blabbing your mouth, running certain things. If true, you never know who's listening. And, uh, you know, that I never lose sleep over that. That was just something, you know, that you just get used to. It, and, and it contributes to, look, you can either be trusted to, to keep classified secrets or you can't. And if you can't be, you know, you're playing a very dangerous game on a variety of levels. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, I again... I have personally, personally, and I can, and and I'm, I can't present any evidence. I'm not going to go too far into this discussion. Personally, for me, I'm convinced 
that a lot of people's weird experiences are real. I'm convinced that the possibility of uh, some nugget of what Good is saying or Basiago is implying in a general sense is possible. Okay, personally, you know, based on personal experiences and stuff, um, you know, there's there's some very weird aspects to reality. I think a lot of us have experienced that. I'm not special. Okay, um, but I personally choose not to go public with that stuff. Why? Because my public life, I'm kind of in the business of pre- talking about things that I can present some kind of line of history or some type of documentation or some type of historical thing that I can point to, okay? Yeah. And also my personal thing is this. There are some things that happen to you, some things you experience, some things you see, some things that come to you that the reason this happens is because you do keep your mouth shut. I've talked on other shows. There's this thing called the admonition of ISIS where, you know, it's if she lifts her veil and shows you her true nature. Oh, Jesus. I thought you meant the other ISIS. Oh, no, not those (laughs) assholes. That kind of bothers me that they use that. Yeah, they've ruined ISIS, yeah. I like that old Bob Dylan song, ISIS. He can't even, yeah. (laughs) When she lifts her veil to show you her true nature, so to speak, you're to tell no one. You're you're not supposed to share that. It's a very private, personal thing. And and for me, I crossed that Rubicon back in 2010. And so for, you know, uh, I, I just, there's certain things I just don't and won't talk about because, you know, um, I look at them as, you know, they were, they were intended for me, you know. Um, now, again, I say I'm not the only guy that's experienced these things by any means. I think there's, you know, I, I think everybody to some degree experiences something you know, along these lines. And, uh, you know, some people choose to talk about it and tell the world. Um, You know, I choose not to. So that, the reason I bring this up is that's why it frustrates the hell out of me when people are out there, you know, uh, uh, projecting this stuff and saying stuff that, I'm sorry, just sounds like and smells like bullshit. And, you know, you know they're doing it for the money or you know they're doing it for attention, for whatever, you know, who knows um, why they're doing? Yeah, I mean, who knows why they're fucking doing it? Yeah, for whatever the reason, and what's the reason you know, why? What, what, what's the reason they give for doing it? Because they want to tell the world. They need to. They need to let people know that. Oh, yeah, there's such there's a thing as a there, Yeah, there's this line of crap thinking out there that you know, hey man, you know, info. Who think, for instance, uh, I lost you. The intellectual property me. should be free. They they think you oh, write a yeah, book. Yeah. They should have a right to have it for free, that this information belongs to everybody, and you're an evil villain if you know something about UFOs that you're not telling. You're an evil villain if you've encountered Hecate and you're not talking the details about that. You're an evil villain if there's something you don't know that you're not telling them. There's people who really, they think that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, uh, that tells me they don't know crap about the very thing that's being talked about. Because when you look at, and this gets into, you know, an interesting conversation that, um, you know, the, the whole nature of the UFO experience, you know, you're talking about, just for example, you're talking about a phenomenon that, you know, they don't want to be, it, it doesn't want to be disclosed. It doesn't want to be revealed. It wants to, it wants to reveal itself to all of us on an individual basis, 
that's not original with me. Other people have said it. You know, we've been in conversations with Greg Bishop and others, and you know, we've said much of the same thing. It, it's a phenomenon that that is selective when it shows itself, and um, it doesn't really want you going on a radio show and blabbing everything. Now, if you get a byproduct, if these experiences point you to leads that then are material leads that include some type of documented thing, that's okay. Okay? But the actual weird experience that the experiencer has, I personally am convinced and have been convinced that not all of these things should be shared. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and you know, you gotta try to resist like I said before, I could I could write two or three times the books if I just wanted to put BS out there. If I wanted to talk about my personal experiences, I could write I could produce twice the books that I do now. Um, it and and it, you know it would that tempts a lot of people. Yeah, I yeah, could jump yeah. in a wagon and you know cater to the the people that just want to hear whistleblower experience or stories. But I, I have a question for you. I have well, I have a point in the question, so. First, the first the question. You don't. Uh, I, I hope you can answer this. You may not be able to. Um, I know you. You have you you you're like privy to classified information, right? I what? You were privy to like classified information and shit during your time in yeah. the service, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. If you could, you like say. Uh, this is all speculative, folks. So I uh, I'm very being very careful with my words. This is sort of like one of those questions like if you break out of jail and you're an innocent man, is it still a crime? Um, Could you say like that you – let's say you wanted to go down that road of like these these folks who uh, weave stories. Could you say like that you were privy to information that like was about secret space shit? Would you get in trouble for that? I guess is the question I'm asking. Like, would the would the would the yes. government, the army, or whatever come to you and be like, "Okay, stop doing that," or could you just be I like, like it, "Yeah, I, I had this classification when I was in the army, and I know about secret space shit because I saw documents." Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's a, a a couple of parts to the answer to that. The first one is this. Okay, I would say everybody knows I was an Air Force OSI special agent. Okay, it's kind of like the FBI for the Air Force. Right. Slash D. Okay. While I was at Wright Patterson, I was. This part is not classified. I can say this. Mm-hmm. I was chief of a counter espionage operations branch. What did we do? We ran double agent operations. Okay. I can say that. That's not classified. What I cannot say are details of those operations. I cannot name names. I cannot identify targets. I can't, you know, I, I should not go into, uh, uh, oh. Uh, Details or should I can figure out, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, the, 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 the tactics, the, the oh, tradecraft craft is yeah, yeah, what I'm trying word, Yeah, means and method or whatever. Dis- yeah, it bothers me a little bit when I see accurate tradecraft being put into movies and TV shows. I kind of, people have asked me, hey, when are you going to write your spy novel or whatever? Because you must not, I'll be honest with you, part of the reluctance is I, I just feel irresponsible if I were to do that because there's people still out there in the field using these things. Right. A magician and, does not reveal their tricks. Yeah. So, um, I, so there's an example. Now, here's the thing. As a counterintelligence guy, a career counterintelligence guy, during my time in the Air Force, 
part of your counterintelligence work, um, when you do it like I did to the level I did, um, you get involved in things like program protection. Okay. Now, the OSI had a very special section dedicated. Their full-time job was program protection on the real cool stuff. I was not one of those guys. Those guys are awesome. Well, you know, those are the guys that know what's at Area 51. Okay. Yeah. Those are the guys that know all this stuff. That I wasn't one of those guys. But when I was at LA Air Force Base, part of my thing was program protection and and uh, you know also at Wright Pat. Okay. And so you get briefed in on things. Now, I can say, yeah, I was briefed in on program and technology, you know, things and of a certain level, but I cannot tell details. You know, I can't I there's things I know about stealth that even if it I'll put it to you this way, even if it shows up in a movie, I cannot say the words because it would be violating my Oh wow. Secrecy. That's crazy, yeah. And it can be, it can be. A, okay, this happened in the early '90s. There was something on a TV show, specifically Twin Peaks, that blew my mind. I saw it. It was used by a guy who was some type of secret agent. And to this day, I will not even utter. There's an acronym for it. I will not even utter that acronym because when I learned about it, it was in a vault of vaults in counterintelligence training, operational training for the FBI, and it was the the last thing that they revealed to us on the final day of training. It was the big the big grail of yeah, yeah, our reasoning. And to this day, even though it's been almost 30 years since it was on a damn TV show, I will not say that because I've never had anybody come to me and say, it's okay to say that now. Right, right. Interesting. This is, this is why when people say, oh, they can't keep secrets, that's bullshit. You know, I say, you know what, obviously you're either an idiot who's never worked in that classified world or you're one of those dick hairs who's worked in it, but now you're the cocky guy at the party who's, you know, trying to impress chicks and your friends, you know, by saying, oh, you know, they can't keep secrets. It's baloney. You know, they can keep secrets. But um, so I will say this, just to the level, and I didn't know everything, okay, but to the level that I was briefed on and to the things, uh, speaking to the things I was exposed to um, very often daily, okay, and trips to the vault and stuff like that, this is why when I speak of an U.S. Air Force secret space program, I speak confidently. And I'll leave it at that. Oh, wow. All right. Because these things convince me. Okay. From, when you, from your time in the in the service. Uh, yeah, my, my time. Now, remember, I was with the FBI, then the Air Force, and then I was a contract consultant guy in the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. at some point in that realm, yeah. Well, what's the? How about? The, what about the answer to the question, though? Because I'm trying. That that this wasn't about you per se. I wasn't saying like that you would. That you that I suspected you did it. I'm, what I'm saying is like, is there protection for all of us in the civilian world from someone uh, like 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 a Corey Good who could say I got information? You know what I mean? Like, is there? Are they not allowed to say that kind of thing? You know what I mean? If it's true they're not allowed to say it, then that's one of my points of contention. Right. No, no, no. That, that, yes, yes. That's that's my point on my end in a sense where it's like – so there's – so if you if, – let's say I was in the Army uh-huh. and I had like a, a, an ultra-top secret clearance and people knew about it because I was 
Fuck, I was the ambassador to China. Okay? All right? So I have a super top secret clearance. Obviously, I need to know all the shit that is involved in that kind of job. Mm -hmm. Then I'm old. I'm like 70, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to die soon. I want to tell the world about UFOs. And here's all the shit I found out when I was the ambassador to China. But it's all just made up shit. Uh huh. They can't do anything. They can't be like they, – they, they could issue a denial, but they couldn't like arrest me for, for saying if, – if, if, if you're making crap up and you're not revealing actual classified stuff, really all they can do is say, oh, what a sad end to this poor guy's uh, otherwise distinguished life. Uh, you know, here's our denial. None of this is okay, true. Yeah. And then so just, if you, yeah. So if you're like a grunt IT guy, you could also make up a whole bunch of shit, and they're not yeah. going to be like, hey, don't do that. Right. Now, you know, and as far as protecting it, let's say it was true. Now, again, I refer to my recent book, Shimmering Light. Okay. I go into in in fairly great lengths um, what I think the Air Force did to my dad in 1958 to suppress his memory of something equally on an astounding possible level as anything Corey Good has said. And I argue that they used MK Ultra type stuff to suppress whatever it was they wanted suppressed that he was involved in, to the extent that the wild story that he told about underground civilizations could have been part of what they used to cover what he was really doing. So, in other words, let's say Corey Good really was involved in some type of secret special ops program. All this crap about the Blue Avians and being a space ranger on Mars and being taken at 16 and brought back five minutes later, that could all be a bunch of MKUltra bullshit, what they call a planted narrative. This is in MKUltra. Look it up. It's in my book, Shimmering Light. A planted narrative of all this wild blue avian, blue sphere crap that they put in his head to suppress whatever it was he actually worked on. This is the hypothetical. If if he really was involved in something ultra, you know, secret like this, people have to consider that what he's saying could just be a planted bullshit narrative that that it's it's put in the mind. My dad believed what he was telling me. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. Okay? And but it could. I acknowledge. I talk about it in that book. I acknowledge that it could have been a planted narrative. Absolutely, to simply cover his role in in a much more down to earth, so to speak, U.S. Air Force secret space program. Yeah. Let's see more mundane thing, oh, let's put this planted narrative in his head so that if if he does start talking, he'll talk about this crazy thing about Roswell and this underground civilization, and, and, and he'll never talk about secret space program. And, and we don't care if people think he's crazy. We don't care if his son goes off on this tangent thinking there's an underground civilization. We don't <laughs> care. As long as, by God, Sergeant Bosley doesn't talk about the secret space program in 1958. You follow me? So yeah. if I argue they did that to him, with this MK Ultra technology in 1958, think about what they could have done to Corey Good in the late 80s or 90s. Because, folks, when Congress in 1973 forced CIA to reveal their hand what they'd been doing with MK Ultra and kind of made them stop doing it, guess what? They never brought the military before them in a congressional hearing. And, and the biggest proponent of MK Ultra technology back in the 50s was the 
United States Air Force. The biggest mili- the military branch that was the most enthused with MKUltra was the U.S. Air Force. And guess what? To this day, the DOD and the U.S. Air Force have never been forced by Congress to admit and reveal how far they took MKUltra technology. Interesting. Well, yeah, the Air Force. It's interesting. That makes me think more because I've, 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 in recent years, I've been coming around to the idea that all the shit might be hidden secretly in the Navy somehow. There's some kind of. This oh, kind of like oh a, yeah, under, I agree under, with under, you. Yeah, I, I think, uh, uh, I think the Navy is, uh, if if anyone's doing a involved in the secret military space program, you're talking the Air Force and the Navy, totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it does make you think like. If they're interested in that kind of shit, if you kind of like pull back the t- you know the timeline in a sense, it was like if they figured out anything from whatever this UFO shit is, I'm sure they figured out that there's a mental component to it, and that would explain sort of like the mental interests. Yeah, you know it, it's it's I mean you know you're you're you, you mean as far as the phenomenon itself and the experience of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, a, yeah. I mean, if 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 you were like an, an investigatory body and you figured out, like, okay, there's this like something's happening in the mind of people when they see this thing, then it's like, then you would immediately like, oh, we need to know more about the mind. You know what I'm saying? What if, what if there's one source for all of these? Let's let's keep it simple for all the modern UFO era. Okay, yeah. let's call it 20th century, and and more specifically, starting with Kenneth Arnold in 1947. Blah, 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 everything. What if there's only one source of this? What if they have the technology to get into and, and scan, so to speak, to scan the mind of the observer, right? And can and find out what their their prejudices are. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, spiritual prejudices. Uh, or find out what their interests are, okay? Right, right. And then what they do is they are able within the, the they are able to make that observer see them through that filter and what if this is a technology in other words you know if if the uh, if the observer is aroused uh, uh, about in a circus or a carnival you know they're able to make their ship in the mind of that observer the observer thinks they're seeing a a, a carousel or a big top uh, tent they don't actually oh, yeah, see yeah. Well, let me let me let me put it in words that might resonate with listeners, because if anyone's listening to this and going, "What the fuck is this guy talking about? That's crazy," I want you to go to like your favorite fucking website, because the ad on the side is a cookie-based ad, based on all the shit you look at online. So like mm-hmm. we're already we're doing that, we're doing yeah. that to people now. So yeah. so the idea that this intelligence could be doing it to us on a far more advanced level is makes perfect sense. Yeah, and let's say the observer is is a goth, you know, it's like a goth rocker person that's really into vampires. Yes, they have all those the UFO, the UFO makes itself look like you know, a bat, a big giant bat or yeah, it, exactly. Yeah, yeah. They reach into the mind of the observer and they make the observer think they're seeing whatever um entertains that observer's imagination the most. And that's why, in a way, they, like, couldn't – if that's, like, really what it is, it's like they couldn't even – A, they couldn't even have disclosure because they couldn't, like, explain it. But, like, if somehow it happened, everybody would be seeing t- different shit, you know? Yeah. Like, that's why we can't figure it out anyway because everyone's seeing different shit, you know? Right. So, 
Yeah, no, I'm in total agreement on that. I think it's like there's something. The only thing I take issue with, in a sense, is the word technology. Because to me, it's like I wonder if it's like some natural thing, you know, just some natural. A a grasp on some type of natural function, sure. Yeah. Whatever it is. You know, there's also the issue of – uh, you know, people, witnesses will be looking at something, a UFO, for example. They'll be looking at it, and it looks distinctly. It has these features and such, and, and one of them is capturing it on, you know, their video camera. But yet when they go to the video, it doesn't show up in the video like it looked to their eye. Right, yeah. As if perhaps there's something about the nature of the craft or either the, 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 a byproduct of the nature of the craft or part of the technology, and they're jamming the signal to yeah. where you cannot capture it visually. There's that interesting possibility, too. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, I've enjoyed this conversation a lot because we've just been speculating. We can go like another – they're going to cut me off at the three-hour mark, so we can go like another like 15, sure. 15 minutes if you're cool. Uh, that, that'll be good for me because yeah. I've got to allow people to have access to the kitchen again. Oh, shit. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I, I, that's entirely possible. I've always, li- I've often likened this to like the weather in a sense. It's like if we were like cavemen, we wouldn't really understand how all these different clouds take shapes and shit. But there's actually, there will eventually be some explanation for all this shit that'll fit into, like, that will make sense. <laughs> well, but here's the thing. I hope there may, it may, there it, may not. Hmm? There may not ever be that public explanation before everybody. The explanation might only come perhaps when you die. I was just going to, you took the words literally right out of my mouth because I thought you were going to say like, or it may never happen. And I was going to respond that uh, it probably, you know, I hope, I hope, go back to that. I hope that it does happen when you die. Like, (laughs) that's that's the one thing that that keeps me from fearing death and also kind of like, like, uh, looking into this shit, where it's like, I really hope once I die, I get to find out the answers to all this shit. Well, you know, and and the other, and, and what does that do? That makes you step back and think, well, then, you know what, wait a minute, if that's the truth, what is the real meaning of this life? Maybe it is just to, and I'm going to sound cheesy here, and, and I hate to even admit this caveat, damn it, because I like the, the mystical adventure life, but, you know, what if the purpose of this existence, if you find out all this stuff when you die... Is the purpose of this existence in, you know, the the personal interactions with the friendships and the familial relationships and and how you um, uh, carry yourself as a human being? Is is this life really, truly maybe all about, you know, um, uh, being normal? (laughs) Being normal and, uh, you know, living a normal life instead of pursuing all these mysterious secrets if you find out when you die? Um, you know, I've I've contemplated that, and I thought, damn, I would go nuts if I if I thought life was just supposed to be a normal life. Yeah, you just kind of blew my mind there in a way, because <laughs> it's like when I think about it that way, because I've always sort of hung my hat on the idea that like at least what I'm doing is somewhat noble in a sense, where it's like I'm asking the big questions of life, and then then you think about it, and you're right, maybe you get there on the other side, and they're like, do you weren't. Tra- you weren't supposed to be trying to figure this all out. You were just supposed to be, you know, having babies but, and shit. But <laughs> you got to go back. Here's, here's the big caveat to that. 
I think our nature is such that if that were the case, we would not have this driving curiosity inside of us. That's true. I we wouldn't that, yeah. have this gut instinct, this sixth sense that there's more to just this material, ho-hum, mundane existence. So I think really these others that are with us and have been with us all along, I think they want us to expand our perception of full reality, and this is why they they lead you along. Now, here's the thing: if your if what turns you on, if 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 what your objective is is to stand on a stage in a spotlight in front of a microphone in front of a TV camera and tell everybody, you know, about these experiences, then. If that's not the point of those things being revealed to you, then you will cease to learn. They will cease to show you. They will cease to guide you along. You know, um, so you kind of, it's a discipline. You kind of have to accept that, you know, if your objective is the knowledge, if your objective is to know these secrets and these things, I'm speaking for myself you have to give up being famous for it, so to speak. You have to, again, when she lifts her veil to show you her true nature, in other words, to show you more of reality, you tell no one. And here's why. It's not that you're being some selfish, you know, uh, elitist maniac. It's because when that happens, okay, when she lifts the veil, okay, and shows you these things, it means that you, in your life, your personal path, you have made it to a point where you've reached that exactly. threshold. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's disrespectful you've earned that. to say, now, yeah. All, right, all the description of what you've seen that you give in words or write in a book is not going to be the same as that person experiencing it for his or herself. Right, right, right. No way. So what you're doing is you're kind of spoiling what they're supposed to find on their own. Exactly. Path. That's why they can't have disclosure. They can't. Yeah. Yeah. Just, so it has so, to be a transformational experience for like the whole planet. Yeah. Yeah, now, now, when it comes down to, you know, there was a time in this planet where people living on this continent didn't know about people living on that continent. Oops, one of these days, you know, one day the ship showed up on the shore, and oh, now we got to deal with that reality. Okay, when that day comes, it will come, okay? But I, I, I think what people are experiencing here, that they're insisting, you know, disclosure will solve it all and answer all the questions, I, I think they're misinterpreting it. Um, yeah, I no, think no, 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 yeah. I, I think Jacques Vallée, thirty some forty years ago, figured that out. And there's people who still don't want to hear that. They want they want it to be ET and they want it to be little grays. And by God, they want their disclosure. And they're well, missing the simplest the- like base level. The argument against that whole thing, anyway, is like if it was that fucking easy, I think they would have told us. Yes, it's, <laughs> it's not, like not even you know if you think about it. If you really think about it, it's like. That's pretty cut and dry, and they've 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 clearly primed us for that announcement. So, like, what the fuck, you know? Where is it? Obviously, there's more to it than that. Yeah, I, I definitely I think there's there's more to it than that. Because like, I think I can buy like the whole idea not to jump on you, but I can buy the whole idea of like the slow disclosure with pop culture and shit. But it's like even in that scenario, I think we were good to go like in the seventies. 
It's like we don't need another 40 hours, you know. You don't need, like, you don't need, what, 70 years of of, uh, of prep for this. Sorry. Right, right, exactly. Unless exactly. it's truly, like, beyond fucking aliens. Yeah, well, and there you go. It could be beyond fucking aliens. It could be something that, you know, isn't that simple. Right, and, that's what I'm saying, yeah. yeah. And yet it's so entwined with our existence that, that most people aren't aware of that that's where the shocker comes from. Um, yeah, I mean, it, that would freak people out, I think, if it was like, if the other, as we've discussed it, like, it's one thing if it's aliens and they're coming here in spaceships. It's another thing if it's like there's like an intelligence that exists in the fucking ether around you, like Wi-Fi. <laughs> you know, like people would freak the fuck out. Yeah, they would. They would. And, and you know, you probably know by now, anybody that listens to me long enough or sees my comments, I am anti-collectivism. I, I despise the hive Borg mentality. I, I'm disgusted with this this concept that we're just all part of one big universal consciousness. And, and oh, no, yeah, I don't like that shit either. No, no, no. We each are individual beings individual sentient beings okay now we're of a particular species but we each and i think what we're talking about tonight right now is kind of evidence for what i'm saying the fact that each person's experience is meant for them and and one person you could have five people experiencing the same ufo and have five different experiences you know i think that there's evidence against this collective hive mentality but there's a bunch of what I call new newbies. This is probably their first time. I'm, I'm a reincarnationist. I, I don't even I don't debate it. I don't discuss it. I've been convinced a long time ago we reincarnate. Okay. So that said, I think that these people that embrace the hive, the collective, that we're all part of one consciousness. To me, these are people. I don't care what they think or what they say. To me, this is their first time incarnating. Okay. Yeah. And, the, the, you know, it scares the hell out of them. So they want to cling to something so they have this togetherness because being an individuated physical person or being scares the hell out of them. Now you're scared the fucking hell out of me, dude. You just dropped this on me with, like, we we have, like, ten minutes to go. See, that's terrifying. Oh, because uh, we're, uh, you know, we're seeing a shift why... here in the culture where it's, like, there's more of that. Yeah. I don't like that shift in the culture right. personally. So to me it's like you – I'm I'm getting frightened in the sense where it's like, because yeah. yeah, I see this current young generation. Not to sound like old man yells at cloud, but it's like, I don't, you know, this idea of like when they get around to run. Oh, well, we said that about my generation. Nothing's changed, so I think <laughs> I think the old axiom of goes on. And you know what? That's part of the process of of wisdom and learning more. It's not that you can discount it because other generations have done it before. As a matter of fact, it verifies, it, it, it gives validity to what we're saying because every generation has done this before. Hmm, that must mean something, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't even know. I started going off on a tangent, but I forget what I was saying. But it was just sort of like, yeah, this. It, 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 I was getting scared that this young generation is going to turn us into a hive people. But then I remembered the old axiom that it's like you're – you're a liberal in your 20s and a conservative in your 30s. It's like by the time they get to be, by the time they get to be old enough to like start kicking their fellow millennials off the off the off the boat for their own well-being, then then they'll get an idea of how the real world works. So I'm hoping yeah. that's the case. Exactly, exactly. I, you know, it, it, it's the, we're talking about the you know the, these newbies I'm talking about. These are the people that that are just really they love to discuss consciousness. 
and you know, I like to joke about this. There's nothing that bores me more than a discussion on consciousness. To me, it's a newbie that says, oh, we're conscious. We're conscious. Hey, everybody, we're conscious beings. To me, the advanced being, the advanced person that's been around a few times, it's like, yeah, we're conscious. Get over it. Now, it's what you do with that consciousness that counts. But get over the fact that you're a conscious being. You know, uh, yeah. put your big boy pants on and just start getting conscious. You there? Quit talking no. about it so much. You know, it's right, not that. Right. It's a big deal, but it's not. You know. But, no, no, no. Uh, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. I think we're in agreement. Young people are the worst. They are. Damn them. <laughs> <laughs> get, off, get off my lawn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I know what you mean. Yeah. It's uh. It's weird. Uh, well, I was I was going to mention this thing I posted on Twitter. Now I can't find it. We were talking about uh, sort of the attitude of some of these people in this thing. Let me see if I can get it on here. I wrote uh, – let me see right here. Uh, we're going to get going in a minute or two. Don't worry about that. Uh, somebody wrote an email to, like, some other show that I follow on uh, on Twitter, and they were, like, bitching at them because they have, like, a 30-minute intro where the guys just kind of shoot the shit, and then they bring on the guest. And the guy wrote, like, a nasty fucking email to them and was like, hey, man, you know, I don't want to listen to this intro. You got to you gotta put the interview up front. That's bullshit. You got to put the interview up front. And one of the lines in the guy's email was, share the knowledge, man. Oh, I hate that. And I posted I posted to Twitter, share the knowledge, man, in quotes, then hyphen, the clarion call of the paranormal asshole. Yeah, yeah perfect. Exactly. Exactly. You know? Yeah. I, you know, but that they'll they'll you piss them off enough. I, I'm convinced somebody who was pissed off at me was probably the source of uh, one of my books being uh, uh, hacked and then put out there as a PDF for free. I'm I it wouldn't surprise me if it's somebody I pissed off. I'll show him. I'll you know put his new book out there and ha ha ha. It'll be out there yeah. for free. Like okay, whatever. You know, on to the next one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's yeah. frustrating. But I, you know, I have to. I have to admit that you know I probably pissed someone off. <laughs> oh yeah, believe me, I I know for a fact that I pissed somebody off last week. So, <laughs> so you know, you piss people off. That's how you. That's how you know you're doing a good job in this crazy field. So, I hope so. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, that was the that was that that is the clearing call of the paranormal asshole. That's how you that's know, excellent. folks. So, yeah, I've heard that. So many times. There's no, you know, there's no fucking obligation, dude. Nobody has any obligation to do anything in this field. It's bullshit. Anyone who says, you know, anyone who thinks that you owe them something brings nothing to the table, I find. You know what I mean? Whoever the fuck wrote this email to that podcast, like, he, I guarantee he don't have a fucking podcast. He doesn't even right. have a fucking blog, you know? Well, you know, here, here's what they don't understand. The people who, again, think everything should be free. Here's the deal. Yeah, this knowledge that I put in my books, you can find it. Go out there, do the research, you can find it, you know? But what my book is, is the product of my research and analysis. It's my take. It's the fruit of my labor. And for me to be able to continue doing this, I have to sell the books, you know, to, you know, kind of buy my food and pay the electric bill and and be able to do these things so it's not that i'm trying to keep the world's secrets away from the people man it's that uh, you know i gotta get something for my time it represents my time distilling this for the consumer's uh enjoyment or enlightenment and they don't get that they they 
because a lot of them are younger, you know, and they live in this world where they're subsidized by their parents and they don't have, you know, they have all sorts of time to game and they, they think that's what writers and stuff and researchers are living under the same circumstances, that they can just spend all their time doing this and just give it away. And they haven't hit the, the brick wall of life yet. Yeah. Well, let's hope they do soon. Yeah. It's good for and- them. Speaking of Walter's books, you can find them at lulu.com slash spotlight slash lost uh, continent lib. Once again, lulu.com slash spotlight slash lost continent lib, L-I-B. And uh, he's also on Twitter, W.B. Bosley, and uh, on Facebook as well. It's just punches his name. So, and read the books. And read the books. And and yes, you'll find a, a variety of interesting characters on my uh, Facebook and Twitter friends list. <laughs> yeah, Walter and I are mutual friends with quite the uh, quite the extraordinary young woman. Yes, yes, and I'm jealous. You got the follow. I know. I, you got to stop trying to get her attention. She'll fall. You have to do it. I, I know. I I, I it's, it's I think I get the I think I get the polite. You know. Arms reach, you know they'll they'll they mention me once, but uh, you know uh, anyway, it's a lot of fun. It's fun. We'll talk, we, yeah, that's that's an almost an off the air conversation, but yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, well, I enjoyed this, dude. I could honestly, if they didn't shut me off at at three hours, I could probably keep this going for like five or six. That's how much I'm enjoying. Well, this let's do it again. We will definitely do it again. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I gave folks all the places to go. Get the books. Thank you, man, for being so candid, and uh, hopefully we don't get sued by any of these people from the uh, whistleblower community. But uh, We shouldn't. Um, they're public figures. <laughs> they are public figures, so hopefully we'll – and my brother's a lawyer, so I should be all right. Oh, there you go. Cool. We're good. Well, thanks for having me on, Tim. I really appreciate you giving me your time and the audience's time. So, I appreciate so. it, man, because you know something? Uh, I'll pontificate here a little bit at the end. It's like the people – like I said before uh, – and you said earlier about how UFO community doesn't really look at this secret space program stuff, and I have not myself. And following you on Twitter, I was seeing all this all this uh, turmoil and stuff in the community, and I was like, A, holy shit, there's a community, and B, they're in turmoil. I need to know more about this. And, yeah. you know, a lazy-ass podcaster would go, well, I'll get Corey Good on. He's the face of this shit. But it's like clearly there's a lot more going on under the surface, folks. Uh, that we explored tonight that I think actually should enlighten people. So now when they see names and shit of people out there, they'll be like, okay, I know what's going on now. That's He's from the whistleblower camp. He's from the he's from the serious research camp. So we tried to do our part to uh, illuminate people on this whole thing and dig into the Secret Space Program as well. So thank you, man. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Have a good night. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. There you go. I got five minutes to wrap up the show here. Big thanks to Walter Bosley. That was we we hit the wall last week with uh, Jack Brewer on the uh, near three hour mark, and I think we passed it. We easily passed it tonight because I'm going to be in a real bind to wrap up the show. So thanks to Walter Bosley. And I remember what I said. I really could have probably kept going for like another hour here talking about stuff. Uh, that's how much I enjoyed the conversation. Very uh, very open minded, but at the same time uh, speculative which is what I like a lot. Uh, and I got to, like, throw all kinds of crazy ideas out there and shit. And uh, I wanted to make the point to Walter while we were talking that I, I was trying to belabor the point about whether or not somebody could make shit up and say they learned it from being in the Army uh, just to sort of 
get the point across to people that like if somebody's saying a bunch of shit just because they were have the credentials doesn't mean that the credentials actually verify what they're saying, and no one would actually stop them from saying it. So that's worth considering and thinking about as you hear testimony from uh, people going forward. Uh, what else is going on? I'm incredibly tired, and I need to go to bed, and it's almost midnight here on the East Coast. I want to mention I've got a crazy picture up on my Facebook page uh, of me and the illustrious Adam Go Rightly in costume because last night I was uh, in Dunstable Mass with the crew from Bright Rectangle Films filming a scene for their uh, forthcoming movie, The Hill and the Hole, which stars the one and only Adam Go Rightly in uh, one of the feature roles. And uh, they were filming so close to BOA HQ that Adam, and apparently the filmmakers are Banal of America listeners, so I'm hoping that they're tuning in right now, uh, Christopher Ernst and Bill Darman. They're the guys behind Bright Rectangle Films, and they're making The Hill and the Hole and they filmed a bunch in New Mexico, and they filmed uh, – they're starting – they're filming this week in Mass. And I went up to uh, Dunstable, and Adam, the friend that he is, got me uh, – I wasn't just an extra in The Hill in the Hole. I'm a uh, speaking role. So I have a cameo role in the uh, movie The Hill in the Hole that will be coming out sometime in 2018, and I play the role of Tiny. I have one line, and uh, me and Adam work in a dough truck. That's pretty, that's pretty much all you need to know. And I have an awesome picture of me and Adam in costume uh, on set at the, uh, the taping of the, the, the Hill in the Hole uh, movie. So I'm looking at it right now. That's why I'm distracted. It's, it's quite the picture. And, uh, yeah, so I want to thank the guys from uh, Bright Rectangle Films, Christopher Ernst and Bill Darman. They, got, uh, they are awesome. I really do appreciate it. And uh, William McClain, who played my uh, coworker Zeke, in the scene. We had a lot of fun, a lot of laughs. It was really quite the experience. And uh, I'll talk more about it eventually when the movie comes out or something. We'll do a show uh, with the guys uh, from Bright Rectangle Films and uh, The Hill in the Hole. It really was awesome. So I can't thank them enough for having me out on set uh, last night to tape this thing and uh, to be a part of the movie. It's going to be really cool. I, I cannot wait to see this movie. <laughs> so, And now I, I can be in consideration for an Oscar, which is always nice. And uh, we're going to run out of time in less than a minute. Uh, oh, shit. No new episode next week or the week after. I'm going to Canada on vacation. I'll be back in two weeks. So uh, what is that, 821 or something like that. Stay tuned to Banal of America. I'll post a message there, and I will uh, post a message on Facebook and all that stuff. And uh, that's it. So I'll be back in a couple weeks with a whole bunch of new episodes. I'm on vacation to Canada. Uh, I'll post the info on Banal of America. Shit, I'm running out of time. Good night. Talk to you in a couple weeks, guys. Bye-bye.